Today's podcast is brought to you by Aunt B's Homemade Creations, your go-to retailer for unique and customizable gifts. They have a wide variety of jewelry, candles, oil, and air fresheners, and more. And if you act fast, you can get your gifts shipped out to arrive before Christmas. There's a link to the site in today's description, or you can find the link on their Facebook page. A great reason to look them up is that everything they sell has high quality and a higher conversation starter value. It's really cool stuff, actually. (laughs) But the best reason is because she is awesome. Aunt B is the wife of one of our earliest supporters and Patreon members, and the awesome skull-shaped candle named Fred has kept me company all night as I slave over this hot keyboard, getting the spicy pot out to you guys just about on time. That's Aunt B's Homemade Creations, where you can find awesome gifts at great prices, and every item is always handcrafted with love. I'm Josh. I am Alyssa. And we are back with today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. How you doing today, guys? Doing well. Got new brakes in the car. Very exciting. I've heard those are new and exciting up. <laughs> Just took me a minute to get them done. You know. Well, it was costing you a fortune in shoes to keep stopping, so. True. And it's a little cold because it is winter up here in the Bay. And with the hole in the floor, it really is inconvenient. Can only imagine. It's bam, bam our way through. How do you think this chunk was? Did you like it? Did you love it? I did like it. It was a really good kind of development for the Harry charity interaction. Gave us a lot of kind of understanding of charity's underlying energy and also kind of gave us the the reasons behind why she has issues with Harry. And I appreciated the kind of back. I love good backstory there. I was thinking of shipping Harry and charity, but then it would upset Michael. So now I'm just thruple shipping them. <laughs> um, so I need to come up by the end of this pod. Hopefully, we'll have a good name for it. <laughs> Cherry Cole. Either way, uh, kill me. What were you guys talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I drift off sometimes. Um, I am. Oh, yeah, chapter thirty-one. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Anything exciting besides breaks? I mostly moved into my apartment. Thanks for asking. Ooh, that's awesome. I mean, it took right. me. A long time to get everything real set up in mine. I still have boxes in my craft room, so, you know. I have a craft room myself. By craft room, I mean I have an empty bedroom that I need to find something to do with. Maybe that's where my bike will Oh, but I can't have my bike upstairs. Then I won't. Oh, that would be a real pain in the ass. Or cheesy. Um, I guess I can put my computer in there. But then, like, if I want to just fall out of the computer chair into bed. A lot, lot, of, lot of important high-level thinking going on here at the, at the homestead list. <laughs> I can tell. Besides that. <laughs> 
You want to get us caught up and I will break down 31. All right, I will do my best. So let's see. We started the book off with Harry is a warden. He witnessed the wardens being wardens for a young, untrained wizard who had used mind magic. How much warden would a warden ward if a warden could ward wards? <laughs> let's see. Molly reached out to him for help with boyfriend Nelson being in the pokey. Then there was some supernatural attacks on SplatterCon, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, in which people died. We have kind of added to the cast of characters with Molly's friends, with Rosie and boyfriend Nelson. We have learned that the phages have taken off with Molly. We don't know much about that, but Daniel, her brother, has been injured in the attack. and. We are all holed up with Father Ford Hill at good old St. Mary's. Indeed. Every time I do the retelling, I, I emphasize different parts, whether it has anything to do with the future, the, the upcoming uh, parts of this episode or not. doesn't matter. <laughs> Which I think is interesting and I love it. And it's very different than previously on Proven Guilty would be <laughs> for an actual one. And I kind of like it because it gives us more insight into what things you're that's so why I went down my warden thing, because every time you've talked about the wardens wardening at the beginning, uh -huh. um, and it's one of the few things that comes up every time. <laughs> no, I okay. like it. I see what, peeling, peeling back the onion list. I think it scarred me as much as it scarred Harry. Oh, absolutely. I'm not saying <laughs> I just, we, we learn a little bit about how you, you're seeing the novel whenever you do those. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, again, like, even if it's no, subtle it dumb things, but it's like little things, it's, Again, that, that's part of the draw for this, again, for me, but certainly for a lot of our feedback. Give the people what they want. I'm all out of bread and circuses. So Daniel breaks down his recollection of the attack. Daniel heard Molly arguing with someone or talking to somebody, and then she screamed and tried to slam the door on them. She came running into the living room and... Those were the phages that Harry had sent after the beacon or summoner of the spell. And it makes sense then that they come in and start chasing her. Then Molly tells Daniel that they have to distract the monsters because they might go try to attack the children, their siblings upstairs with charity. And so he grabs the poker from the fireplace and, and runs in there. Cruiser, my nephew, has run full speed at me with the poker one time mm -hmm. <laughs> and he was it was funny and just wasn't trying to hurt me he didn't get it it was like three four five years old but it was very painful but it it didn't stop me so i'm not sure it could stop these phages either and it turns out this is just like real life the phages were unamused and they basically they didn't start chasing him but it didn't really take him out of commission or anything like that and, you know, he mentions the same thing other people are saying, that th that first they thought it was people in disguise. But I do find it interesting that everyone who's been assaulted by these people, like, somehow recognizes that it's not a disguise. I mean, it is technically a disguise for the Phobophage, but mm -hmm. they're taking the form of that character. Yeah. And it's interesting, right, that all of them are like, that wasn't a person in a mat. Like, that was Hammer Hands, you know? Yeah. And, like, in this case, you know, he knows it's the Reaper. Because he says at, at, he thought they were costumes, but it seemed to me that that's where he was leaning into that. Like, yeah, at first he thought that, and then he realized they weren't. Yeah. And he does kind of lean into that later, right? When he talks about how he doesn't have any hands, so he couldn't climb after him. Like, they have this profound effect on you beyond it being scary. 
but everyone seems to really get that these are those monsters, which is interesting to me. Does that make sense? At least that thought, whether or not you think it's, it does. No, it does make sense. It does make sense. And it, but it's uh, with Daniel, it's, it's kind of that walking that line between reality and what he knows it to be. I think. Well, yeah. Same with Clark Pell and the same with the people at the hospital, right? Like it seems to me at least that like everyone at first thinks it's just, you know, people in monster costume. Yeah. But then, all of them seem to figure out that it's not just a dude in a costume. Like, yeah. there's some like supernatural power that these people tap into and recognize without being magical. But everyone who's had this experience, I actually thought as I was recapping this that I had misremembered Daniel, but then he talks about Hammerhands not being able to climb. So, like, he's the same way, right? They all mm-hmm. are convinced that these are those characters. And that's, obviously scarier than if they weren't so it kind of fits into the lore and this is more an analysis combo but isn't this but like does that make sense like all of them somehow n- knew that it was supernatural and I, I think that's really interesting for some reason maybe i'm just being no weird. i i mean i but i, I kind of like it yeah like no it that, adds, you know? adds a layer of like power and impactfulness of these creatures for sure either way you know, we touched on it last week. Maybe that was just us talking on the side, actually, about it had to have been because it was about this conversation where Daniel like breaks down sobbing because he feels like he let his mom and his sister and his dad down. Yeah. And it's like it's heartbreaking because he actually he's, he's a, a hero here. He like got the you know, he got the weapon and tried to fight him off and like, you know, like you can't do it all. And he like yeah. it is a really heartbreaking exchange here and he kind of repeats the sentiment later if i recall and it just it sucks because like you know he was kind of a douche at the beginning of the novel but he's just a kid and that's that's kind of the emphasis on this is that he's just a fucking kid yeah but in the last two chapters here he's he's really done you know acquitted himself well as any person as any hero in the Mm -hmm. which is really cool and again probably he's also just a fucking kid Exactly. Yeah, no, it's it's off. I'm sorry, mom. I wanted to I'm sorry, mom. I wanted to stop them. They were just too big. Like, dude. Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Yeah. So Harry, as he tends to do in some, you know, these kinds of moments, he 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 has to like take a couple steps away. He just doesn't want to be a part of this forlorn. <laughs> There's just this this grief-filled meeting there with his, you know, mm-hmm. Daniel and his mother. And the other kids are around, probably asleep by now, but so Harry gets up and walks away. And interestingly enough, Ford Hill follows him, which again, like we saw it last couple of weeks, but just like Ford Hill, he always, even our first, his first interaction with Harry on screen was in grave peril, but Ford Hill had known Harry before that. Mm-hmm. Michael thought he was introducing them and Ford Hill had mentioned that he blessed a vat of water or something like that to make it holy water. I think something on those, along those lines. Yeah, I think it's like that's what it was. But so like they have a they've had a relationship for a while as well. And again, just lends to the coolness of Fort Hill. But this is a another level here, him walking away from, you know, one of the roles of the priests, you know, when helping people through suffering and grief. And like instead of sitting there and trying to, you know, to serve that role for charity and Daniel, he sees Harry walking away and and I feel like knows it's important. Or at the very least, maybe helping Harry through this moment is more important. Mm-hmm. 
some combination thereof. But I, I just thought that was an interesting reaction from Thornhill. Again, I, this really should be analysis. I'm sorry, I'm getting lost in my notes here because <laughs> I'm back and forthing. But yeah, it was interesting that Thornhill, again, just leaning into recognizing that Harry knows more about these things and just showing that competence hmm. that, you know, at this point, we almost want, I almost want an unco- incompetent person besides Rudolph to exist. <laughs> but, you know, it's it just, I, I don't, because that's not fun to watch. It's, mm-hmm. it's fun to watch, you know, people who are good at their job help people and make the world a better place and, yeah. and fail and fall flat on their face. Doesn't mean it has to always be saccharine and overly successful, but like th- there are gray characters in here, and, but it's just like a lot of, they all have convictions. Yes. But I, I like that this is, it's also yet another person who has faith in Harry's abilities more so than he has. Yeah, absolutely. You ever seen In Bruges? No. Oh my God. Like that. We should stop recording, quite frankly. <laughs> like you're, you're busy tonight. It's Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. You know the movie I'm talking about? No. Oh my God. They're hitmen and they're like laying low in the city of Bruges, Belgium. Okay. And it's just a couple, you know, a couple of days in the life, basically. And it's like an incredible film, like art filmmaking, but it's also like hilarious in Bruges. It's like one of my favorite movies. I recommend it very highly. Martin McDonough. Just, yeah. It's like a very dark comedy. <laughs> a black comedy that's very, very black, but it's, it is pretty good. And it reminded me of that because man's got to have a code is a line that a guy says in that movie. Ah, there was a, there was a circle back. I promise. They're usually, well, they're often. Let's say usually a plural in a plurality of cases. I circle back. <laughs> I, I forget where I was going. I never had a point or I remember those are the three. Options. I get you. Harry mentions to the priest that these creatures inflict more than just physical mm-hmm. damage, right? They rip into your psyche. They tear into We've seen that in the third site a couple times already. Physical or like the the spiritual and emotional damage it's leaving on its victims. Pretty brutal. And Fornhill asked if that's what happened to Daniel. And Harry obviously says probably. It's an emotional trauma. Well, he described it, right? Someone dying, that kind of thing. Tears people up the same way. They don't get over it fast. And so Fornhill kind of uses that to segue into talking about Nelson, boyfriend Nelson is in the cot, kind of in the corner, away from the action, but conveniently action adjacent. And they have a good conversation about it. And it's interesting. And it certainly points Harry and us in a direction of some 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 rough conclusions to have about a character that we've grown to like so far. Mm-hmm. Where Forthill says, if I didn't know you'd sent him. I would have thought he was having a bad reaction to drugs. He was almost incoherent, very agitated, terrified, in point of fact, though he would not or could not explain why. (laughs) I managed to get him calmed down, and he all but fainted. Poor guy. And he tells Harry that he doesn't, he didn't get the impression that something was following him, which is, remember what he said to Harry, that he was worried about being followed. And that was kind of lost in the shuffle is that Harry told him to go to St. Mary's, but he also said he was going to meet up with him. And because of the Darbster and Glau, he wasn't able to meet up with him. Kind of got held up. But uh, tip your bartenders. (laughs) 
Nope. Fort Hill asks who he is. <laughs> Harry says it's Molly's boyfriend. Maybe Charity doesn't need to know that part either. <laughs> There's another point of inflection here where Fort Hill asks Harry how these beings would have gotten past the threshold at the Carpenter home. Hmm. He said, traditional way, they got an invitation. From who? Probably Molly. I have difficulty believing that she would do such a thing. She probably didn't know they were monsters. They're shapeshifters. They probably appeared to her as someone she knew and would invite in. Ah, I see. Someone such as you, perhaps. And obviously this, you know, tears into Harry's guilt complex more. Yeah. And it wasn't an intentional thing, that's for sure. Yeah, I I don't really get why. I, I don't think it was intentional, but I still think it was a mistake, if that makes sense. A mistake you know. by Fort Hill for saying that? Yeah. Like, in the moment, that's something you can circle back on, I feel like. <laughs> you yeah. Know what I mean? Especially because he knows Harry well enough to know how guilt-ridden he is. And he already had that conversation with him earlier. It's just, it's kind of an out-of-touch conversation. But again, I mean, priests are certainly in a different social such situation than most. It's uh-huh. in so-so anyways. So, you know, maybe there's an explanation there. And, and I don't mean it's it's mischaracterization at all. I, I do uh-huh. buy it as just Fort Hill. Honestly, trying being curious and trying to figure it out. Yeah. Not realizing the road he was going down. But I think... Yeah. It, is something he should have realized, if that makes sense. No, um, it does make sense. Like, I just wish he was a better <laughs> better reader of the room. Yeah. That's kind of what I mean. You know, Harry takes it as you expect him to. And he, again, he references that engraved peril. Even though Charity hates him, she ended up going with his face to get captured by the nightmare. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people using his face to go after people is something that he's had. Isn't to- something new. Yeah, unfortunately. And struggled with and never really gotten over that. Yeah. It's it's misplaced guilt because it isn't his fault, but he takes it on as his. Yeah, exactly. And you know, like, like the fact that how unguilty Michael and you know, Charity says she was on drugs, but I, I have to believe that she at least tacitly agreed at some point. She could have woken up and changed it. Yeah. Um, that they named their kid after him, after yeah. that episode, the child that was endangered in that mm-hmm. moment which was a really cool friend thing to do by Michael, but also it shows like you're saying that the guilt is that he believes that guilt is just entirely misplaced. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it, it, no, it, it just, it's the, we're back again to the, how other people view Harry versus how Harry views himself. Mm-hmm. Ford Hill does do some good analysis here as well, though, when he mm-hmm. recognizes that it's the first person that we've seen the phages capture Mm -hmm. they haven't taken anyone else away yet until molly which is another point of confusion for harry you just can't put it all together right there's a lot of facts and fort hill suggests he get some rest he's like he can't he's like we can't just waste time when molly's yeah with you know whoever has molly and fort hill then offers to find him some food, which is really cool. And certainly the next best thing to rest, I think, for Harry. Mm-hmm. So he goes and makes some sandwiches. Harry tries to, to slot things together. And Harry sits down and uses his sight to take a look at Daniel. And he took a bit of a psychic flogging, as he describes it. But it was very different than what he saw in Rosie and Pe- 
well, similar to Pell, but very different than what he saw with Rosie, right? Mm -hmm. There were some kind of specific injuries. And he had initially just kind of attributed that to the drug use. But he hears Nelson stirring around and without really thinking about it, turns with his sight still open and he looks at boyfriend Nelson and he sees he's been mauled to hell, way worse than Daniel. And a lot of the damage is new and different than what we've seen, mm -hmm. but there's one very specific injury that is exactly the same as what we saw on Rosie. It was two neat holes, sharp and cauterized, if by a laser scalpel at each temple. How awful. No, bueno. And Harriet kind of describes things in his brain clunking together all the time. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't actually use that word in this case, but that's the only way I could think of this. Like, all yeah. the people, like, clunk, 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 like... The way he describes it is just like the pieces of logic that kind of happen and fall together in the way they mm -hmm. just neatly fit. Very much so. He knew. He knew why his spell had sent the phages after the carpenters, why Molly had been taken. He could even make a good guess at where. And it, it's interesting to me that one of the important pieces there is the mirror, but we'll talk about that later. Okay. I don't really see how he got to that, but he makes a big assumption here that obviously is based on the evidence but it is certainly still just a theory but he finds charity in the chapel sitting up high on the balcony probably in a, almost the same place that harry was sitting a few moments <laughs> ago which i think is is kind of funny they have a lot of these little similar paths harry and charity they have quite a few of them yeah, more than they either of them would would allow us to think about for two exactly. Months. But this is a great exchange, and I mentioned last week how we had a lot of these like perfect six chapters, six chapters, six chapters cliffhanger. You know, at the yeah. end of, of each one, and it was really fun for me. Certainly, to make <laughs> have to read Asshole. that. <laughs> um, I can't touch type, and this is also a much smaller keyboard than usual. Mm. But he sits with her in silence and says, Charity, I need to ask you something. She gave him the thinnest of nods, but didn't say anything. How long? How long since what? How long has it been since you've used your magic? Such a good. I wish that was, I wish that was where we ended last week. <laughs> You're evil. <laughs> Okay. And the chapter, this is another great beginning of a chapter. I couldn't have gotten more of a reaction if I'd shot her in the face. Blood drains from her face and she freezes in place, buckling the bench. And he says she gnashed her teeth and I didn't pay, push. Gnashed her terrible teeth. I didn't push. I waited. That's one of the things they teach you if you ever, when you're doing interviewing and interrogation, if you ever want someone to talk to you, let them, let the pauses dra like drag out. Most people will fill those pauses. Her thoughts and emotions were clear on her face. Panic, desperation, self-loathing. Her eyes flicked from one possibility to another. She considered denying it. She considered lying to me. 
She considered simply walking away. Charity, tell me the truth. Her breathing quickened. I saw her desperation growing. I reached out one hand and turned her face toward me. Your daughter needs you. If we don't help her, she's going to die. A lifetime. How did you know? Just putting lots of little things together. Please, Charity, tell me. So we learned that Charity had magic. It started showing around her 16th birthday. And when Harry asked how her family took it, she said, my parents were wealthy, respectable. When they had time to notice me, they expected me to be normal, respectable. They found it easier to believe that I was a drug addict, emotionally unbalanced. And so she got sent away. She got sent away to different schools, to hospitals, disguises as schools. And she just ran away after that. She fell in with a bad crowd, a cult of sorts, led by a man named Gregor. He had power. He, had, he and the others, all young people, mixed in religion and mysticism and philosophy. And, well, you've probably seen such things before. Which is, this is the perfect recipe for a cult. You know, young people and a, a charismatic leader and brainwashing followers. Happens all the time. And that's where she learned about the White Council. A warden had visited them, giving a warning to Gregor. He'd been toying about with some kind of summoning spells, and the wardens got wind of it. They interviewed each of us, evaluated us, told us the laws of magic, and told us never to break them if we wished to live. So we have a little bit more understanding about, about charity, why charity knows so much. Gregor resented it. He grew distant. He began practicing magic that walked the crumbling edges of the council's laws. He had us all doing it. The others began disappearing, one by one. No one knew where they had gone, but I saw what was happening. I saw Gregor growing in power. He was trading them. She nodded once. He saw my face when I realized it. I was the next one to go. He came to take me away, and I fought him. Tried to kill him. Wanted to kill him. But he beat me. I remember only parts of it being chained to an iron post. The dragon. She nodded. Some of the bitterness faded from her smile. And Michael came. And he destroyed the monster. And saved me. Michael saved her from a dragon. I just mm -hmm. love that. He <laughs> defeated the dragon for her. He's a knight who, who fought the dragon. Like, exactly. that's just, that's just so freaking awesome when i first read this i texted josh that and it was just like when hallmark gets an action budget this is the exact <laughs> exactly and so michael destroyed the monster he fought and i swore to myself that i would leave that behind the magic the power i had urges to do things only only a monster would do when Cyrothrax died, Gregor went mad, utterly mad. But I wanted to turn my power against him anyway. I couldn't think of anything else. Hard to do. You were a kid, no real training, exposed to some nasty uses of power. Yes. Without Michael, I would never have been able to leave it behind me. He never knew. He still doesn't know. He remained near me in my life 
making sure that I was all right, and he was such a good soul. When he smiled at me, it was like all the light in the world was shining out at me. I wanted to be worthy of that smile. My husband saved my life, Mr. Dresden, and not only from the dragon. He saved me from myself. I never touched my power again the night after I met Michael. We married soon after, and in time, the power withered, and good riddance to it. So we learned that when Molly began to show talent, she tried to get her away from it. She tried to show her how dangerous it was, and that it could destroy her and her life, because it just it nearly destroyed her mother's, and she did it anyway. That was the main crux of their arguments and their conflict. And because of that, she ran away from home. She didn't understand. Then Harry shows up, and Harry is a hero. Harry uses his magical powers in the way that Molly wanted. For the love of God, you saved my life. We named our child for you. Once she realized she had the talent, nothing could keep her from it. And Harry goes into guilt mode. He truly does. He's dragging Michael into these things, getting him almost killed. And now he's the example Molly wants to follow. I didn't know. She shook her head. I have been honest with you. No one else knows what you do. Not Michael. Not my daughter. No one. Well, holy fuck. No wonder there's all this. We talked about this before. There are so many elements in so many stories that the one thing that would fix it, communification. Mm -hmm. And if anybody would understand, it would be fucking Michael. Like, I mean, he deals with Harry all the time. Like, come on. And so she asks what happened. And Harry's like, We're f I'm figuring it out. It's a lot of guesswork. And he says, I examined the victims of the first two attacks. One of them, a girl named Rosie, showed evidence of a kind of psychic trauma. At the time... I attributed it to the phages attack on her. I found an identical trauma on Nelson. Molly is the link between them. They're both her friends. I think she was the one that hurt them. I think she used magic to invade their minds. Obviously, Charity is shocked. And she says, oh God. She's broken one of the counselor's law. No, 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 she would not do such a thing. I think I know what she did. And why she did it. And Harry goes to tell us that she did it because both both Rosie and Nelson were probably into drugs. She used her power to protect the baby. And she what she did was she left something in their minds that made them fear drugs. Fear is a powerful motivator and it's easy to exploit. She wanted them to be afraid of drugs. She had good intentions but she wanted her friends to be frightened. I don't understand. Whoever called up these phages needed a way to guide them from the never-never to the physical world. They needed a beacon, someone who would resonate with a sympathetic vibe, someone who, like the phages, wanted to make people fear. Then Charity realizes what Harry had done. You did it. You tried to turn the phages back upon their summoner. You sent them after my daughter. I didn't know. My God, Charity, I swear to you that I didn't know. People were dead, and I didn't want anyone else to be hurt. Who did this thing? Who is responsible for the harm to my children? 
Who is the one who called the things that invaded my home? I don't think anyone called them. I think they were sent. And then he comes to realize that reflections and mirrors were what all of these attacks had in common. Mirrors in the bathroom, Rosie's makeup mirror that she had looked into right before the attack in the conference room, all the steel surfaces in the commercial kitchen, and the windshield in Madrigal's rental van. Harry explains that there are many things that can come through windows and doors and mirrors and reflections. But there's only one thing that feeds on fear and uses mirrors as a pathway, as pathways back and forth from the never-never. It's called a fetch. Charity goes back in her mental Rolodex and realizes that she's heard of them, and they're creatures from fairy. Specifically, they're creatures of the darkest, of the darkest, deepest winter. They're even more, even more specifically, they're Queen Mab's elite spies and assassins, shapeshifters with a lot of power. Mab? The Mab? And they've taken my daughter, carried her away to fairy. And then Harry gives us his reasons why. That she'd be a rich, rich resource, she's talented, and she works in fear. They'll feed on her and her magic for hours, maybe days. That's why they didn't just kill her and have done. What can we do? I'm not sure. It would be nice to have your husband along. He's out of reach. Messages have been left, but we're on our own. There's something. The problem is, we don't know where to do it. I thought you just said that they had taken her to fairy. And then Harry explains to us how big fairy is. Fairy is huge. It makes Australia look like Rhode Island. There must be something. I'm working on it. Harry is always working on something, and I love that. And we and she explain he explains to her about time being different and location being different and changes and the openings change and all of the ifs. If I'm strong enough to open the way and if I'm strong enough to hold it open while simultaneously running a rescue operation against at least one agent fetch who ate my magic like candy earlier tonight, we're still talking about defying the will of Queen Mab. If she's there, there's not a damned thing I can do. I don't have enough power to challenge her in the heart of her domain. The whole damned White Council doesn't have enough power. On top of that, I'd have to know precisely where to cross over into Fairy because I'd only have mitts to grab her and get out. And I have no idea where that and i have no idea where she is what are you saying that i can't do it it's suicide so you're willing to leave her there no but it means that i'm going to have to find help wherever i can maybe from people and things you won't like much and it's possible i'll get myself killed before i can even make the attempt and even if i get her out there could be a price I'll pay it. For Molly, I'll pay it. And he talks about how Molly might not come back whole, which we kind of know. I mean, all of the shit that's going on. He said, even if Molly could, even if I could find Molly and bring her home, it might already be too late to save her. But I could burn that bridge when I came to it. And he explains a little bit more about the geography of the Never Never and how there are thousands of places in just Chicago that that they could have gone through. And he's going to have to, work on Little Chicago, and it might kill him. And he asks Charity for something of Molly's. And she says she has a lock of hair in her baby book. I'll pick it up from your place. Where's the book? I'll show you. I don't know if that's wise. She's my daughter, Mr. Dresden. I'm coming with you. I was too tired to argue, so I nodded and started down out of the balcony. 
My ankle twinged and I wobbled and almost fell. Charity caught me. Mm-hmm. I love that. They're rescuing each other. Yeah. I know. Hopefully we have a chance to talk about that in a little bit, but they're, they're like you mentioned it at the top growth of their relationship in this is kind of central, obviously to the chunk, but it is really, really cute. And I really do enjoy it. <laughs> this first interaction to kick off chapter 33. Again, I have favorite characters and among them <laughs> are certainly Thomas of house Wraith. He is just every scene with him. I feel like he steals. Oh yeah. He really is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Harry introduces her and says, this is Thomas. He's more dangerous than he looks. I have a black belt. <laughs> You're the white court vampire who took my husband to that strip bar. She said, please. I love that. She remembers that too. And yeah. we'll hold it against him forever. Of course. <laughs> But she remembered, but also figured out that he was the one, right? Yeah. She's very, very, very quick on a lot yeah. of things. Thomas tries to be, you know, fun and friendly and, hey, it's nice to be remembered. And <laughs> someone who has a clue for a change. But she doesn't get Fight. any reaction. <laughs> I do like that. It's she, you know, he says she's not icy nor friendly, right? She's not just cold. She just has nothing. Yeah. A remote, steady gaze, as she says cautious observation and she tells him that she appreciates that he's fought with michael before but she's still going to be suspicious and you know that's that she put the line there that kind of her thesis statement i do not remain passive to threats i like it <laughs> which is not a bad way to go through life i no. tell you um and i like we've seen i guess last week what was a good good moment of it but we've seen in the past where harry can't take situational clues and just make the world easier for people. Yeah. He says, you know, cause Thomas to that basically attack by charity over who he is mm-hmm. says understood, ma'am. And then she tells him to get in the, the rearmost seat and he starts to just go with it. Yeah. Right. Because that's the quickest way to solving this problem. Yeah. hundred percent. Which is, you know, a direct opposition to how Harry would have dealt. And almost, Harry almost did act in this situation, right? Yes. Which is, again, he, uh, it is a knock because kind of the immaturity, but it's not, you know, I don't really mean it as a knock. I, as, as part of, an, it's, it's a side effect of an admirable quality in Harry, I guess. But he says, her ride, her rules. I can respect that. So can you. And so they all got in. They hop in. Harry explains why he left Mouse behind because he's already got a hurt leg and then he can help Fort Hill with the kids. Wow. Pobrecito. They have a chat about what kind of breed the puppy might be, which mm-hmm. happens every so often. It is amusing. Yes. If immaterial. But I'm not the only one who notices Mouse isn't a normal dog. High five, Thomas. That is very true. <laughs> Mouse is something special. He might even be a cat. <laughs> Speaking of, they get to Harry's abode and Mr., who we haven't seen in a little bit, comes out, slamming his legs into people's, slamming his shoulders into people's legs. Really just Harry, though. That's true. He, else just, he whines, he whines his leg. Yeah. <laughs> that is going to I love it. Oh, uh, you got to assert dominance. Let, <laughs> let your uh, roommates understand the pecking order here. It goes Mr., and then I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> The exchange where Charity says, it's very well kept up. I had expected more debris. <laughs> Which I love. He cheats. 
Thomas said. <laughs> but no explanation. Exactly. Just, he cheats. Because, because you can't tell people about him or they won't keep coming. Exactly. And he benefited for it for a while. Exactly. Exactly. But also, Harry didn't tell him about it. He knew something was up. Mm-hmm. Right. And we, if we go back to the beginning of Blood Rights, where Harry was upset that Thomas didn't leave. Yes. Because if he led left, the brownies could come in. Yeah. And so, like, Thomas knew something was up and he knew that he cheated, but he still doesn't know how. He doesn't know all the details as to how. Which creates a situation where Thomas absolutely has left the house and hid in the bushes and tried to catch whoever (laughs) else. It's like, does he have a cleaning lady or what? Like a super advanced Roomba. (laughs) But no, just... That, that's all just the idea of michael like trying to like walk out and turn turn around quickly and come back in you know like just trying to catch you mean thomas yeah thomas, yeah thomas trying to catch the brownies is now a short story that i need in my life <laughs> that's spectacular yeah maybe does something for one of them they, i don't know there's a there's a story in there somewhere there it totally is <laughs> he decides he's going to get things going with little chicago he takes a quick shower we saw earlier how in-depth some of the rituals can be or how some of the preparations for ritual magic would be. He just does basically a real shortcut version of that. Mm-hmm. Of that. And again, kind of leans into more to how dangerous it is. You know, we saw earlier he was going to do a spell and was just really worried about doing it even with the whole ritual. Now, kind of Merlin take the wheel here. Hmm. Original. Takes a shower. He gets down there to little Chicago. And again, he reiterates kind of the power and thus the danger of little Chicago itself, right? I mean, it's a very powerful tool that he's been pouring energy into for months now. So even the slightest mistake would kill certainly him and probably his brother and charity. As Bob mentioned that it would be square one, ground zero, things that tend to resemble each other. As he's sitting down trying to get ready for spell, Lashiel appears between him and the table in her white tunic with her red hair pulled back into a tight braid. It was Auburn earlier. It's getting more ginge by the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, I'm a Lashiel stan. Um, <laughs> now, now it's all making sense why. She holds up both hands and says, I cannot permit you to do this. You are almost as annoying as a sudden phone call, <laughs> which sounds like a random insult until we remember. But we know. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Which I love. We go through the song and dance of her not wanting to put himself in danger because if he dies, she dies, basically. Mm-hmm. And she is, you know, in her way, worried about Harry here because of his lack of focus, because of his guilt and his injuries. He's exhausted. He, she thinks he'll destroy himself. And she leans into this kind of guilt trip energy where she says to Harry that if if he dies, he won't have to explain it to Michael. Mm-hmm. He won't have to go to her funeral. And he doesn't reply. This isn't anything more than an elaborate form of suicide chosen during a moment of weakness. I do not wish to see you destroy yourself, my host. And. He realizes she may be right, but he's got shit to do. And so he tells her to move, realizes she doesn't have she doesn't have to move, and he walks straight through her. 
And she does a similar mind trick that we saw her do in Sheila's apartment way back when, where she just changes his vision. Mm -hmm. So instead of showing him fire all over the place, in this case, she shows him the envelope he was reaching for. It's now spinning all over the room and there's a bunch of them all over the place and he can't pinpoint which one is his. She does threaten him a little bit. She goes a little bit deeper into the, I am this powerful creature immortal. (laughs) I actually really like this quote there, but she basically is starting to try to assert her dominance. It goes, Mm -hmm. Mr. Mouse, Lashiel, Harry, as far (laughs) as the order of the totem reverse order of the totem pole, I guess hundred percent in the home. And she makes his hand explode into pain as he feels the fire scorching it from way back when in that basement with Kincaid. <laughs> he fought through it, kind of showing some gumption and his ability to deal with pain, which has gotten him so far. But I, I think he even surprised Lashiel a little bit as well with his stubbornness, basically. I don't <laughs> think she's ever been in the brain of anyone this stubborn. Probably not. She gives him another option, you know, to win here, which would be taking up the coin. And I love that when she references it, she has like kind of like a video game light shining down on where the coin is in the corner like that. Just presenting it to him in a, in a way I, I really like. We see the moment that we see all the time that I do love where Harry doesn't seriously consider doing the wrong thing, but he thinks about it. Mm-hmm. Not seriously considering, but he is going through that chain of logic and what would happen if he did take up the coin, right? Mm-hmm. But at no point is he actually considering it in no. this case. But he <laughs> contemplates a lot of shit, so it's it it's it tracks. Absolutely, I just I love it. He does this all the time in every novel now. And I I mentioned that like I don't remember which book it was. But it was book two or three? I think book maybe it was even book one. But I think it was two or three. Where like no, it was one. I don't fucking remember. But early on, there was a moment like this where it felt like he actually was considering it and he chose to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, with some hiccups, of course, because that's how these things work. You know, you've been tempted by fallen angels. I've been tempted by fallen <laughs> angels. It's like people go through life. You're going to run into a coin here or there. Like it happens. But on the whole, we see this exact combination or this exact situation where. Harry has this great temptation and he looks down the road of what this temptation would lead to, Mm -hmm. but he dismisses it without actually considering it. That makes sense. I don't think he's doing a cost benefit list. I think he's literally just curious. Like, Oh, what would happen? Oh, okay. I'd be a monster. I'd kill them. I would be okay. I'd rule the world. Very cool. Okay. Oh no, no. Sorry. I I already said no in my brain. I I was just daydreaming. Right. Harry's trying to get, move on from last and get the spell going. And there's a line in there that I'm sure is just a subtle throwaway you know, or a side piece that doesn't mean anything. Obviously, based on things we've seen, it couldn't mean anything. Where Lashiel says, you are much easier to talk to when you are asleep, my host, and goes away. Hmm. Which also says a lot. <laughs> it says a lot about both of them. Yes. But that <laughs> she she talks to him while he's asleep is... Well, we've seen him already. Yeah. In her Harry. It's just, I just think it's great. Yeah. No, it's just funny. But also that... That's her on her way out. No, he says, are you still here? And she says that basically just as a parting jab. Yeah. She's really good at her parting jab. She did one earlier in, in the novel and she's compared his, his look to Nelson's. Mm-hmm. And 
<laughs> like she does get the the last word in edgewise like she's she's pretty good at this shit <laughs> he goes through the spell and it's really cool the description is that he shrinks down honey i shrunk the kids style and so he's just this little guy this little guy on this little bottle of chicago which is kind of cool but as he's down there he can look up and still see his body standing over the table chanting mm-hmm. the spell which is uh, awesome. Yeah, it's a really cool image. And again, you know, the cinematic just that would be awesome to see. It'd be a very expensive day on the set, but <laughs> but it yeah, kind of makes me on, think of on like the set, um, but not be expensive. It would just be expensive in the back end. I, yeah, I, but it made me think of like um, what's his face, Beetlejuice, on the miniature of the town. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, nice fucking model. <laughs> <laughs> that is particular. Every 12-year-old boy, his favorite scene in a movie, if he's, if he's seen it yet. <laughs> oh, oh, I know that because it was mine. <laughs> and I'm every woman. It's all in me. Where am I? As he's down there, he realizes it's working, right? It has to be. And he is holding the blood-touched hair in his hand, the empowered spell fantastic hair but it's baby hair and it shoots him around a little bit in a circle he's he's just he can't get on the scent and so he pops out of little chicago back into the standard realm and he takes bob out of the backpack and there's some interesting back and forth here where (laughs) bob's first response to him trying to use little chicago and it not working is it worked the model actually worked it didn't explode. <laughs> the fact that, like, I mean, he had mentioned to Harry that it could explode, but the fact that he's like yeah. baffled, like, holy shit, it didn't. That it actually didn't. Yeah, it's amazing. This is crazy, which I love. And he takes a look at the model and you know tells Bob, there must be something wrong with it. I use the same tracking spell I always use, so it must be the model. And Bob's like, no, it's perfect. So if it wasn't your spell and it wasn't your model, hey, what did you use to focus the tracking spell? Lock of her hair? That's baby hair, Harry. So? So it won't work. Harry, babies are like one enormous blank slate. Molly has changed quite a bit since that lock was taken. She doesn't have much to do with the person it got snipped from. Naturally, the spell couldn't track her. He realizes he should have thought of that because he hadn't ever used a lock of baby hair in a spell before. Except once. Mm-hmm. Except to, to find, find the baby, baby. <laughs> which is amazing. And, and he, he's obviously upset and disappointed with himself. And he says, damn it, damn it, damn it. A tiny mistake. Really that tiny. I was only human. And I had failed Molly. So he pulls himself up out of the lab and confirms that Thomas made the phone calls. And he tells Charity that he couldn't do it. and. He said it it was the baby hair. It didn't work. Hair was too old. I couldn't. I'm just too tired to think straight, maybe. I'm sorry. Charity looked up at me. I expected fear, anger, maybe a little bit of contempt in her features. But none of that was there. There was instead something that I'd seen in Michael when the situation was really, really bad. It was a kind of quiet calm. A surety totally at odds with the situation, and I could not fathom its source. 
or substance. We will find her. We will bring her home. Her voice held the solid confidence of someone stating a fact as simple as and obvious as two plus two equals four. Mr. Dresden, I don't pretend to know as much about magic as you do. I'm quite certain you have a great deal of power. Just not enough. Not enough to do anything. It's difficult for you to realize that you are, at times, as helpless as the rest of us. I made a mistake and Molly might be hurt because of it. I don't know how to live with that. You're only human, for all your power. That answer isn't good enough, not good enough for Molly. Have you done all that you can do to help her? Yeah, then I can hardly ask you for more. What? Yes, it surprises me to hear myself say it as well. I have not been tolerant of you. I have not been pleasant to you. Yeah, but I get why not. I realize that now. You saw, but it took all of this to make me see it. See what? That much of the anger I've directed at you was not rightfully yours. I was afraid. I let my fear become something that controlled me, that made me harm others, you. And I let it worsen matters with Molly. I feared for her safety so much that I went to war with her. I drove her toward what I wished. I drove her toward what I most wished her to avoid, all because of my fear. I have been afraid, and I am ashamed. Everyone gets scared sometimes. But I allowed it to rule me. I should have been stronger than that, Mr. Dresden. Wiser than that. We all should be. Are you apologizing to me? I am not yet that wise. Mr. Dresden, we've done all that we can do. Now we pray. Now we have faith. Faith? Then a hand mightier than yours or mine will shield my daughter. I'm not all that faithful. I have enough faith for both of us. And he pulls away before they have a soul gaze. She'd cared for him when he'd been injured. She'd supported him when he didn't have, when she didn't have to do so. He never had a doubt about her love for her husband, her children, or the sincerity of her faith. I'd never liked her too much, but I'd always respected her. Now, more than ever. I wasn't the sort of guy who did well when it came to matters of belief, and I wasn't the sort of guy who I thought God would really want hanging around his house or his people. Hell, there was a fallen angel in my brain. I counted myself lucky that I hadn't met Michael or one of the other knights from the business end of one of their swords. And then he looks over to the gift popcorn tin, which I love that, <laughs> to where Svetolakius is. Sort of faith. The sort of faith. Topical. And he, he, you know, laments about how he's the one who's hold to hold it and pass it on, but... He says, if God wanted to throw a little help our way, now would be a good time to get that foreordained knowledge of who to give the sword to, at least. Not that it would do us all that much good, I supposed. With or without Philodocius, we had a fair amount of power of the ass-kicking variety. What we needed was knowledge. Without knowledge, all the ass-kicking in the world wouldn't help. I watched the sword for a minute, just in case. <laughs> no light show, no sound effects, not even a burst of vague intuition. I guess that wasn't the kind of, he kind of help heaven was dishing out at the moment. And then Murphy shows up. Harry gives her a, a rundown. And she says, so you're trying to find Molly with a spell. And for that, you need her hair. Yeah, which we don't have, so we're stuck. Couldn't use something else? Nails. Nail clipping or blood if it's fresh enough. Huh. What about her blood? What? She's the girl's mother. Blood of her blood. Wouldn't that work? No. Oh. Why not? Because, uh, I looked up at Charity for a moment. Actually, there was a magical connection between parents and children, a strong one. 
And he talks about how the spell his mother had worked kept them connected, even though she was gone. Stars and stones not just work actually for this spell. It might work better. Charity said nothing, but her eyes glowed with that steady, unmovable strength. I thought to myself, that's what faith looks like. And he says, Murphy, you, you rock. Go team Dresden. Hey, I'm the one who rocks. Go team Murphy. Thomas snorted. Even Charity had a small smile. Though her eyes were closed, her head was bowed again, murmuring thanks, presumably, to the Almighty. Murphy had asked the right question, and it helped him kind of figure it out. And Charity is willing to donate for the cause. And so he says, we're in business. Get ready to move, people. This will only take me a minute. And then we're going to get your daughter back. Yes. Yes, we are. This time, the spell worked. I should have known where the Fetches had found the swift of passage from their realm to Chicago. It was one of those things that, in retrospect, was obvious. They head over to Clark Pell's rundown old movie theater, and we've got the gang there. Charity, Harry, Murphy, and Thomas. And he gives, he gives a little bit of a briefing. Fairy Fighting 101. I know, Harry, Thomas said. Yeah, but I'm going to go over it anyway, so listen up. We're heading into the never-never. We've got some wicked fairies to handle, which means we have to be prepared for illusions. And he pulls out his little uh, bottle of the salve and puts it on his eye. This ointment should let you th see through most of their bullshit. He puts it on Murphy, puts it on Thomas, and then starts to put it, put it on himself and starts to put it away. Charity calmly took the jar from my hands, opened it, and put ointment on her own eyes. What are you doing? I'm preparing to take back my daughter. You aren't going with us. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Charity, this is seriously dangerous. We can't afford to babysit you. And then she pulls out a couple of, in my head, they're those big old yellow and black Rubbermaid tubs out of the minivan. And she starts packing on some serious armor, all made of metal. She's an arming jacket that was not some beatable relic with Kevlar built into the inside. She pulled on a belt an honest-to-God coat of mail. She slipped into it and fastened half a dozen clasps with the swift assurance of long practice. A heavy sword belt came next, securing the mail coat. She then pulled on a tight-fitting cap made in the same manner as the jacket, tucking her braided hair up into it, and then slipped a ridged steel helmet onto her head. She opened the second tub and drew out a straight sword with a cruciform hilt. The weapon was only slightly more slender and shorter than Michael's blessed blade, but after she inspected the blade for notches or rust, she flicked it around a few times as lightly as she would a rolled-up newspaper, then slid the weapon into the sheath on the sword belt. She, she tucked a heavy pair of uh, a pair of heavy chain gloves through the belt. Finally, she took a hammer from the big tub. It had a steel-bound handle about four feet long and a mounted head almost as large as a sledgehammer's, backed by a wicked-looking spike. She, her, she put the hammer over one shoulder, balancing its weight with one arm, and turned to me. I make all of my husband's armor, as well as his spare weaponry, by hand. Uh, you know how to fight, too? My husband didn't become a master swordsman by osmosis. He works hard at it. Who did you suppose he practiced with for the last twenty years? These creatures have taken my Molly, and I will not remain here while she is in danger. Ma'am, Murphy said quietly, practice is very different from the real thing. This won't be my first fight. Hot damn, Charity's a badass. <laughs> Hells, bells. Okay, John Henry, you're on the 
You're on the team. <laughs> Fucking love it. He continues the briefing, and she has extra steel weapons and mail in the tub. And she says, though they might not fit you terribly well, Lieutenant Murphy. Mail coat is the best thing for discouraging nasty fairy beasties with claws. Murphy looked skeptical. This is one of my favorite lines of her. I don't want to break up the Battle of Hastings dress theme, Harry, but I find guns generally more useful than swords. Are you serious about this? And then we learned that guns might not be reliable. There's parts of fairy where gunpowder isn't combustible. So everybody gets some steel. Uh, it's the biggest mo edge mortals have on them. The only edge, Charity corrected. Couple more things. Once we're inside, don't eat or drink anything. Don't accept any gifts or any offers from fairy interest in a fairy interested in making a deal. You don't want to wind up owing favors to one of the she. Believe you me. One more thing. Each of us must, must do everything possible to control our fear. What do you mean? We can't afford to carry in too much fear with us. The fetches feed on it. It makes them stronger. If we go in there without keeping our fear under control, they'll sense a meal coming. We're all afraid, but we can't let it control our actions or decisions. Try to keep your breathing as steady and remain calm as you can. All right, then. Everybody hat up and sing out when you're ready to go. And the I love how he describes Thomas, that it makes the male look like fashion statement. His ensemble look, his whole ensemble looked like an upper class version of the road warrior. He checks him with his wizard sight as well. There was something feline about his aura, the same quality I would expect in a hungry leopard waiting patiently for the next meal to approach. Enormous power held in perfect balance. There was a darker portion of him too, the part I'd always associated with the dynamic demonic presence that made him a vampire, a black and bitter well of energy, equal parts lust, hunger, and self-loathing. Thomas was no fool. He was certainly afraid, but the fear couldn't be sensed under that black, still surface. It's just, this is great, like, lead up into a battle. This whole pair, this whole chapter is amazing. Uh, and so he checks himself out. He's a little... Shaky with fatigue, but, you know, the adrenaline will deal with that. And so Harry sweeps the building. So he lets them know that there are a few fetches, smaller ones than the, than the big ones that they're after, and probably set to guard the door between here and the never-never. They'll ambush us if we try to go in, Murphy said. Probably. But if we know about it, we can turn it against them. When they come, hit them fast and hard, even if it seems like overkill. We can't afford any injuries. What are we waiting for? Thomas asked. More help? Why? Because I'm not strong enough to open a stable passage to Sperry. Even if I wasn't tired and managed to get it open, I doubt it would stay open for more than a few seconds. And he explains that they could get lost there. They could get stuck there. Lots of bad things. And Thomas says, this isn't exactly helping me keep my mind off my fear, man. Shut up, or I'll move to my second initiatives and start telling you knock-knock jokes. <laughs> and so... Murphy asks, if you knew you couldn't open the door long enough to let us get the girl, how did you plan to manage it? I know someone who can help, only she's totally unable to help me. Murphy scowled at me and said, you're enjoying this. You just love to dance around questions and spring surprises when you know something the rest of us don't. It's like heroin for wizards. <laughs> I confirmed. 
And then a motorcycle pulls up, and it is Lily and Fix. And Harry works around their compulsion. He says, I know you can't help me, but I wish to tell you that the onus of your debt to me has been passed to another in good faith. You mu- I must redress a wrong I have done to the girl named Molly Carpenter. To do so, I offer her mother your debt to, f- to me as payment. Fix thinks this is great. And Lily's like, well done, the wizard. And so she asks Charity, do you accept the wizard's offer of payment, lady? She agrees. So mote it be. Then I owe you a debt, lady. What may I do to repay it? Charity glanced at me again. I nodded and said, just tell her. Help us retrieve my daughter, Molly. She is a prisoner of the fetches of the winter court. I will be more than, ha- more than happy to do all in my power to aid you. It will not be as much help as you might desire. I dare not directly strike at the servants of winter acting in lawful obligation to their queen except in self-defense. Were I to attack, the consequences could be grave and retaliation immediate. Then what can you do? The wizard seems to have something in mind. Yep, I was just coming to that. This is where they took the girl across. Must be why they attacked Pell first, to make sure the building was shut down and locked up so that they would have an immediate passage back if they needed it. I'm also fairly sure they left some guardians. And Lily does her magic lady thing and three fetches at least. Touches the building's great. I'm going to go in first and let them see me. Fix lifted his eyebrows. At which point they're tearing you to bits? This is a craftier plan than I'd anticipated. <laughs> Wouldn't want you to feel left out, Fix. I want Lily to hold a veil over everyone. Once the fetches show up to rip them, you drop them. Yeah, that's a much better plan. Fix draw up vassals of winter so long as it is no inconvenience to you, of course, my lady. Not at all, sir, knight, and I will be glad to veil you and your allies, Lady Charity. Oh, yeah, Thomas muttered around under his breath. This isn't coming back to bite us in the ass. Anyone in the ass later? <laughs> it's nay. And so they get into the theater. Well, actually, before they get into the theater, Harry has to use a lockpick set. And he says to Murphy, look at that Zeppelin. And, and he says that he's using the lockpick as a therapy. Manual dexterity. Thomas snorted. You started learning to pick locks. I thought you were playing guitar. It's a simpler, and it doesn't make dogs start howling. I might have killed you if I'd heard House of the Rising Sun one more time. Where'd you get the picks? I glanced over my shoulder at Murphy and said, Little bird. One of these days, Dresden, Murphy said, still stubbornly faced away. I love that. Plausible deniability. (laughs) Although they get it. Owning a lockpick kit illegal in Illinois? I don't know. It might be. Hmm. Um, (laughs) All right, here we go. Everyone ready to? I glanced over my shoulder and found the parking lot entirely empty except for me. Wow. Good veil, Lily. Then turned back around, just as if my nerves weren't jangling like guitar strings, and said, Ding, ding. Round one. (laughs) And I'm all out of bubble gum. Guess Guess you had to see that one. John Carpenter, Rowdy Rowder Piper, longest fight scene ever, you know? <laughs> That's a great reference to They Live, which is a hit film. That I've never seen. <laughs> it's uh, shocking. The, the line there is, I came here to chew bubble gum and kick some ass. <laughs> I'm all out of bubble gum. That's spectacular. Exactly. And I'm all out of bubble gum. It's Rowdy Rowdy Piper, the wwf uh, or wwe nay wwf roddy roddy piper 
Canadian. I didn't know he was that. That's all I got. But either way, do you know the chicken fight scene from Family Guy? It's like a famous. Yes, I do. Yeah. This is this is that meme of uh, or that that scene from Avengers. I got that one. There you go. I understood that. I understood that. Yeah, Um, I understood that reference. Yeah, so that's that's a it's like a very culturally, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I, I assumed you had heard of because yeah, even though you don't Family Guy, you don't watch Family Guy. That is kind of a play off of They Live as well. It's like a there's oh, like okay. a it's like a six minute long fight scene, and it's like the dumbest. <laughs> so uh, I don't I don't actually know if Seth MacFarlane has ever said officially that it is an homage to that, but it's like almost certainly. You know, appears to be <laughs> yeah, to that fight in they live that's what he's referencing when he says the uh, longest fight scene ever yeah, that's the basically it's the chicken fight that's two friends two people fighting over something stupid that goes on forever uh, <laughs> but you missed miss that one huh uh, nothing happens the fetches don't come attack him his allies don't unveil and kill the fetches that are attacking him and we soldier on deeper into this theater. And I love the tactical conversation that's going on throughout this, where the plan was to walk in there, look like you're going to be able to get surrounded and kind of flanked and then have all his buddies unveil and drop the hammer. And then it progresses to, he's going to have to go down this hallway which will basically take away his allies. However, it also is exactly the tactical move someone in his situation without hidden allies would do, right? Because it takes away their numbers advantage. So it's just kind of a cool back and forth and it's all in his head. <laughs> He's just kind of overanalyzing oh, yeah. the scenario. But, but it it's is so accurate. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's actually good, you know, tactical thought process as well. We go, but says they're stupid fairies, but fetches aren't among them. So if he didn't behave like a, a lone wolf, it would tip them off. So he just strides in there, tries to make it happen. For the second time, he talks shit on the phages for not, not showing themselves quickly enough, uh, which I like. He's like, starts feeling insulted here. <laughs> Take cliched measures like walking backward through a doorway or something. <laughs> <laughs> Tell the fetches you'll be right back. <laughs> There's a, um, as soon as he says that, something small dashes across the theater and tries to attack him. He says it could loosely, only loosely be described as a cat. It was, you know, big and scary. And I love that loosely described as a cat. (laughs) Exactly. And Thomas identifies it as one of the creatures from Nature Red. But I love that Thomas knows the, all the shitty horror movies. Yeah, all the shitty horror movies. <laughs> you know, he's he's been alive for a really long time and can definitely. <laughs> and if you can't hold a job, he probably often holds gets jobs at places with revolving doors like movie theaters and yes. And so it's nature red. There was some baboon and a cat thing where animals at a zoo get infected with a retrovirus. And it starts mutating the animals. <laughs> um, and Murphy asks the question, you know, why do they all look like movie monsters? And 
it's not about fear, like it being actually super terrifying, but a little bit of fear for millions of people adds up. And we kind of seen that kind of idea with how powerful different creatures are. Everything, everything that somebody thinks exists basically exists somewhere in the never, never. Mm-hmm. But the more people think about it, the more people the, by number and by frequency, the more powerful it is, the more likely it is that it has real, a real ability to cross over and do something here. And so this is a good example of that. It's, it's not a scary movie, but you get like a little jump scare that would absolutely terrify either of your humble podcast hosts here and have us bouncing off the ceiling. And you add that up times millions of people who've watched it. These creatures are going to get plenty of plenty of bang for their buck. And again, after that whole description, Murphy says, whatever, <laughs> which is a great callback, if unintentional, to something borrowed ah. where Harry, they're chili cobs, ah. whatever, <laughs> just again, very consistent with Murphy, like not giving a shit about, uh-huh. I mean, she did ask, but after yeah. the description, it's just like, uh, okay, fine. like. I don't fucking care. <laughs> this, is, this is stupid, but I'll, you, you tell me what to shoot at. I'll shoot at it. And Lily lets them know that there's going to be a third fetch because they're fetches. Yeah. Is the answer why there's always three. Um, yeah. No further explanation offered or asked for. They start to split up. The ladies go towards the bathroom and there's nothing in there. And they're going to go into the theater itself and hopefully find it in there. But as Harry prepares to go through, as Harry prepares to go through and he turns back and looks at the group, he sees a plastic trash can just behind Charity explode the top off and paper and popcorn fly everywhere. And there's a small toddler shooting from the trash can with red hair and overalls and a big old kitchen knife. It. Runs into charity and spears her. We all know who this is. Yeah, which is interesting (laughs) that, you know, Harry swings the staff like it's a golf club, cracks the head off, and they end up crushing the thing. And it's a pretty quick battle. But it's interesting, like you said, we know this is Chucky. This is Chucky from Child's Play. And, but they call it something else. Obviously, you know, you don't have the rights for it. But it's interesting, like, they had that very clear allusion to the alien but they make up a character here. I wonder, it just is interesting. I wonder if that was a corporate decision or mm-hmm. if, I, yeah, I just don't, I don't like it. And that's not really complaining about story structure or anything. I just personally am stamping my feet and having, <laughs> having a tantrum over here until I get the correct toy in my Happy Meal. Dark. But that's, I, I didn't like it. Uh, but yes, as you say, we all know who it is. It is Chucky, the erstwhile coach of the, Oakland, nay, Los Angeles, nay, Oakland, nay. Um, <laughs> Raiders or the murder doll from Child's Play. Um, they go help Charity out. Lily confirms that there's no more agents of winter around. And we recognize, or rather, li- and Lily realizes the crossing here where the fetches were going back and forth leads directly to Arctis Tor, 
which is Mab Stronghold, meaning Lily now can absolutely not go in there and scrap because she will get absolutely deleted this close to the power center of winter. And as we learned also that Fix now can't go through because he has to protect the entry from agents of winter coming through. So even though we got both of them to help us thus far, mm-hmm. we're losing the two most powerful people in the bunch. Or certainly two of three. But I think right now Harry probably ranks below Fix if they really went after it. You know, and Harry says a throwaway line, but I really liked it because it kind of resonates with who he is. But so once we go in, we're on our own. And he says he, he wanted to go fight uh, like carry, fairies in a cave or like trolls under a bridge or something. He wasn't he hadn't figured on storming the Bastille. <laughs> uh, you know, he looks at charity and, and talks to the whole group and says, Things just got a lot worse. I'm still going. None of you have to come with me. I don't expect you to. Before he finishes, they're all up there, like crossing the imaginary line in the sand, Um, Mm -hmm. which I love. You know, and and he says that as well, you know, about how they're his heroes. Yeah. But it. I actually wish Murphy had said something snarky about shut up, you know, like in that moment. Just to really hammer home, like how obviously all in these people are. Yeah, but I did. But I still I, love I, it so I loved, much. I loved it. Loved it a ton. Yeah. No. I, I luckily I'm not a person with emotions and like who shows it and like cries all the time. Dork. So if I had that line, would make me cry sometimes. Um, <laughs> he gets them all. You know, he says there is heroes. He nods at Lily, and she opens up a way. And, you know, he wants them to all go in together so nobody gets lost. Which makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you can't really, but I just saw the Mario Brothers movie recently on my new new TV, which is the only thing. And I have my computer and my TV and an air mattress. And that's about it uh, in this new apartment of mine. (laughs) Um, So I was just watching things on Netflix. Start restarted Stranger Things season one. I don't know if you guys know this by now. That I don't like watching new things all the time. <laughs> I rewatch series and I re-listen to series and I reread series, which kind of has arrived us here, friends. So it's all good. But uh, I've watched Great British Breaking Show so many times, so many times. You can only imagine. I like cooking shows as much as the next guy, but I don't tend to rewatch them all that often. I generally don't watch rewatch anything but that one. I watch Buffy at least once a year. I watch Lost every couple of years. That's awesome. Uh, Firefly. I say watch. Like I'll put them on before bed and watch part of it. Some of them yeah. I'll watch more than others. And definitely go through this and uh, some other series. <laughs> Hitchhiker's Guide. So there's some Star Wars book series I go through pretty often. The X-Wing books That's are really awesome. good. Well, it's, I mean, I've read, I've read Pride and Prejudice a hundred times. Yeah, it's more because I just fear change. Or <laughs> they're comfort. I am comfortable. But it's more like that, but also when I had a long commute or when I'm driving two games or between mm-hmm. games or putting it on to fall asleep, I don't like doing new things because I feel like I'm missing out on them, you know, by not being able to really mm-hmm. focus. But the flip side of that is I just don't get a lot of new things. I started watching Breaking Bad. I watched the first one and a half seasons of Breaking Bad. Mm. Have you watched The Wire? No. 
watched the first, you should. I watched the first two episodes and was like, what? Why? Can we just put on Buffy? Um, <laughs> the Wire is good, though. I've heard it's very good, and that's why I said I watched the first couple episodes. I didn't get into it, which is a me mm-hmm. problem. It, take, it does take a while to I get was into all, it. In, in a dorm common room mm. evening in college, so like, or maybe it's after college at someone else's dorm common room, but I was in the Braun common room. I know that. Either way, didn't both like lend itself to really getting it. So I yeah, got, no, totally. I started watching The Sopranos recently. Oh, yeah. I never watched that. I watched, right. I watched a few, a good chunk of those, and I watched the finale live. It's, oh, cool. When you get there, we'll talk about that. There's a spoiler. Oh, in that. I know what the... <laughs> oh, yeah. And so we're like, uh, did, did, did the power go out? Like, <laughs> which is great. That's hilarious. I think I know that. I think you got it. But, but I love those pop culture moments. Like, I, I'm very much a a rewatcher of things just because it's I don't always have the bandwidth to learn new things. Yeah, it's not even about learning like I love learning. I know well learning shows. Learning shows is what I mean. Yeah, you obviously do too, but it's more just like how invested do I need to get in something new? Like am I gonna watch two seasons and it gets real shitty and I hate it? Like um, (laughs) luckily I got all the way through Lost because Lost did get shitty for a while, but I think it I think it redeemed itself. I think it's a great show. That's good. And it definitely a lot of the things people say just aren't like they watched a different show. <laughs> they weren't, they weren't dead the whole time. They weren't in purgatory. Like, like everything that happened, happened is very much a uh, thesis statement early on and throughout. But either way, I understand some of the disappointment, but not some of the language thrown around either way. What were we talking about? I have no idea. Honey. I don't know how we got here. The X-Wing series of books by Michael A. Stackpole, um, A Song of Ice and Fire, Buffy, Firefly, uh, and now Stranger Things. I'm going back through Stranger Things. There you go. That's awesome. All right. Good podcast. I'll see you next week. <laughs> oh, each of, you, each of you get a hand on my shoulder. I resettled my grip on my wizard staff and murmured, round two. Ding. Ding. I do love this. And so we head on in. Every time I opened a way to the Never Never, it always looked pretty much the same. An uneven vertical rip in the air that lets in the sights and sounds and sense of the, of the world on the other side. The longer I wanted the rift to stay open, the bigger I'd rip the hole. More experienced wizards had made a comment or two over the years to suggest that I still had a lot to learn on the subject. When Lily opened the way to Arctis Tor, I understood why. Light and color shifted over the screen, their flow quickening and deepening. At first, nothing else happened. The movie screen was simply a surface. Then the hairs on the back of my neck rose and a cold wind wafted into my face, bringing with it the dry, sterile scent of winter in high, barren mountains and the high, lonely cry of some kind of wild beast like nothing in the real world. Deep blue came to dominate the colors on the screen, and a moment later resolved itself into the shapes of mountains, towering beneath the light of an impossibly enormous silver moon. They were bleak and hateful stone peaks, wreathed in mist and wrapped in ice and snow. The wind moaned and blew frozen crystals into our faces, then sank into a temporary lull. The blowing snow cleared just enough for me to get my first look at Arctis Tor. It's this big old fortress of black ice sitting in the middle of the mountains. And 
A single gate, small in comparison to the rest of the fortress, stood open. There's walls, there's battlements, and he says, hell's bells, how the hell was I supposed to get there? It was a re almost a relief when the wind rose again and blowing snow once more obscured the fortress from view. It was only then that I realized that the way was open. Lily had brought it forth so smoothly that I hadn't been able to tell when image gave way to reality. So Lily's damn strong, but we kind of knew that. And so she sends one of her fiery butterflies around them. And she says, this, this much I can do for you all. It will lead you through the storm and ward away the cold until you can return here. Do not tarry, wizard. Do not know, I do not know how long I will be able to hold the way open for your return. Thank you, Lily. Good luck, Harry. And so, they head on in. I should have been freezing, but whatever enchantment Lily's blazing butterfly used seemed effective. The air felt almost as warm as that of a ski slope seeing its last day of the season. So Fix steps through and he says, I thought you weren't coming. I'm not, but it'll be easier to stop anything going through from this side. And he, he regarded us and asked lightly, you bring enough iron, you think? We're going to find out. Christ, you're going to piss off Mab, something fierce bringing iron here. I was doing that anyway. And then Fix tells him, that there's another battle underway. The Reds had found one of the major headquarters of the Venatoria Umbrumrum. I can never say that word. Umbrumrum. Uh, and they had sent out a call for help, and the council answered it. It's in Oregon, a couple hours from Seattle. How bad is it? It's far too close to call, but it's not good. The Reds had their sorcerers types mucking around with a lot of the council's pathways through the never-never. A lot of wardens got sidetracked from the battle completely. Damn it. Isn't there anything Summer can do to help? Not with the way Mab's forces are disposed. If we pull enough of our forces from Summer to help the Council, it'll weaken us. Winter will attack. The Council's mindset is too defensive, Harry. If they keep sitting tight and reacting to the enemy instead of making the Reds react to them, they'll lose this war. So they follow the burning butterfly through the, through the snow, and he realizes that without it, they probably would have been busted up pretty good. Even with the summer magic to protect us, it was a pretty good hike over unfriendly terrain. I'd done worse in the past with both Justin DeMorne and Ebenezer, but there are times when having long legs can be a real advantage on rough terrain. Charity seemed all right, too, but Thomas had never been much of an outdoorsman, and Murphy's height put her at a disadvantage that the unaccustomed weight of her armor and cutlery exacerbated. I traded a glance with Charity. I started giving Thomas a hand on rough portions of our climb. Charity helped Murphy. At first, I thought Murphy might take her arm out, her arm off out of wounded pride, but she grimaced and visibly forced herself to accept the help. The last 200 yards or so were completely open, with no trees or undulation of terrain to shield our approach from the walls of the fortress. He stopped them and kind of hid under a stone for shelter. And they're looking out over the, the edge of the boulder at Arctis Tor, and he doesn't see anyone. Doesn't make any sense, Thomas said. I thought this was supposed to be Mab's headquarters. This place looked deserted. It all makes perfect sense. Winter's forces are all poised to hit summer. You don't do that from the heart of your own territory. You gather at strong points near the enemy's border. If we're lucky, maybe there's just a skeleton garrison. Murphy peered around the edge of the stones and said, The gate's open. I don't see any guards. There are... There's something on the ground between here and there. Oh, it's a glamour. Illusion. Laid out around the place. 
probably a hedge mage of some kind. And it fools people? She asked uncertainly. Fools people who don't have groovy wizard ointment for their eyes. Wait a minute. The gate isn't open. It's gone. What? Charity asked. There is a broken lattice of ice on the ground around the gate. A porticullis? Could be. And inside? I think I can see some heavier pieces, like maybe someone ripped apart the porticullis and blew in the gate. Something huffed and puffed and blew the house in. Mab's house. Well, that can't be good. Molly? I thought you said this Mab was almighty and stuff, Harry. She is. Then who plays Big Bad Wolf to her little pig? I'm starting to think that maybe I'm getting a little out of my depth here. Thomas, Thomas broke into a, a rippling chuckle, a faint note of hysteria to it. He turned his back to the fortress and sat down, chortling. It's not funny. It is from here. I mean, God, you're dense sometimes. Are you just noticing this, Harry? To answer your question, Murph, I don't know who could do this, but the list of people is... The list of people who could is fairly short. Maybe the senior council could if they had the wardens along, but they're busy and they'd have to fight a campaign to get this far. Maybe the vampires could have done it, working together, but that doesn't track. I don't know. Maybe Mab pissed off a god or something. There is only one god. No capital G charity in deference to your beliefs. But there are beings who aren't the almighty who have power way beyond anything running around the planet. He talks about old Greek and Roman and Norse deities and different divinities and tribal gods. And he lists a lot, but they've all been dormant for centuries. And I can't think what Mab might have done to earn their enmity. She's avoided doing that for thousands of years. Unless, of course, I thought to myself, Maeve and Lily are right, and she really has gone bonkers. Dresden, Charity said, this is academic. We either go in or leave. Now. She's in there. Let's go. Wait, may I say a brief prayer for us first? Can't hurt. I'll take all the help I can get. Lord of hosts, please stand against us against this darkness. Amen. Murphy echoed the gesture. Uh, she just the sign of the class. Murphy echoes the ge gesture. Thomas and I tried to look theologically invisible, <laughs> which I love. Then without further speech, I swung out across the around the frozen stone cairn and broke into a quick, steady jog. The others followed. I passed the first bones 50 yards from the walls, and they lay in a crushed, twisted jumble in the snow frozen into something that looked like a macabre Escher drawing. The bones were vaguely human, but I couldn't be sure because they had been pulverized to dust in some places, warped like melted wax in others. It was the first grisly memorial of many. As I kept going forward, brittle frozen bones crunched under my boots, lying closer and thicker and twisted more horribly as we drew closer to Arctic Tor. By the time we got to the date, by the time we got to the gate, I was shin-deep in icy bones. They spread out on either side in an enormous wheel of horrible remains centered on the gate. Whoever they had been, thousands of their kind, had perished here. Charity was right about the portcullis. Go, Charity. And there were more bones. Just bones and bones and bones, waist-deep on Harry. Slabs of planed dark ice at the remains of the fortress gate stuck out at odd angles. The walls of Arctic's tor had been pitted with which I could only assume had been an acid of some kind. Didn't the phages leave acid in the convention center? The one that was dressed like the xenomorph had acid. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. But there's gouges in the wall. Mm -hmm. And they push through, plowing their way through the bones. That's interesting. Once, Once there, I caught a faint whiff of something familiar. I leaned closer to one of the craters blown out of the wall and sniffed. What is it? Thomas asked me. Sulfur. Brimstone. What does that mean? No way to tell, I half lied, but my intuition was absolutely certain of what had happened here. Someone had thrown hellfire against the walls of Arctic Tor, which meant the forces of literal hell or their agents were also playing a part in the ongoing events. Way, way, way out of my depth. But it didn't matter. Molly was inside. So he said he fought the, fe- the fear that threatened to make him start throwing up or something equally humiliating and potentially fatal. He started to head up. I readied my shield, gripped my staff, ground my teeth together, and then continued pushing my way forward through the bones and into the eerie dimness of the most, rick- of the most ridiculously dangerous place I had ever been. Well, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That was some good shit. Or she's it. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, again, not really a cliffhanger, but a good spot to end. To kind of just oh, like, definitely. Yeah. Very, uh, good things here. A lot to talk about in those last couple paragraphs. I feel like, I feel like there was more meat and potatoes in the last four or five paragraphs than there were. Oh, yeah. Other five and a half chapters. But I really did enjoy both courses. Yeah. Your thoughts overall? I mean, you already kind of said it. You liked it. But like overall, I think it it really developed a lot of the characters and a lot of their relationships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It reiterates the faith that all of these people have in Harry. I think the not shocking, but most important of that is Charity's faith in Harry. But that, but the, this whole set of chapters is really all about everyone's faith in Harry. You mentioned that you mentioned Charity's faith in Harry, mm-hmm. even to the extent where she trusts a fucking vampire. Yeah, because of how much she trusts Harry. And That's like, a yeah, big one. Yeah, I mean, you know, she said you have you have fought with my husband before, but like Harry vouched for him, so she's like, you know, you're gonna sit in the back, but come along. You know, I, yeah, it just really reiterates and re, or rather emphasizes exactly what you're saying. Like, definitely, how far along we've come in everyone but Harry's trust in Harry. Yeah, they have so much faith in him, and it, I love it. But it, it's it's very much what he needs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The, the faith and convictions was kind of the phrasing that you used earlier mm-hmm. while I was going to breakdown that I wrote, wanted to touch back on. Just like everyone has convictions they have things they believe into their core and they try to live up to them as best they can yeah and they don't always succeed right charity even said like i wasn't fair to you and harry's failed himself and we saw earlier in this novel thomas failed to live up to the expectations he had for himself right Mm -hmm. you don't always have to live up to those convictions you don't always have to live up to your morals yeah you're allowed to stumble Mm -hmm. but and that doesn't necessarily change who you are if you continue to work and grow and 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 be the best version of yourself, right? So yeah. like, I, I just love that you brought that up, like all their faith in in Harry in particular. But like, Thomas and Michael literally have seen Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden's soul, his actual honest to goodness, yeah, the fabric of his being, and believe in him. Yeah, Harry's never seen that. No, 
But he has talked about how he he's afraid to. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying is that these people believe in, and obviously Murphy and Charity haven't seen his soul, but yeah, he's ha- they still have faith, they have in, faith him. in him. But like even people that have seen him to his core know he's a good man. And Michael has faith yeah. in, in him and in you, Harry. Right? Like, like <laughs> I just, I, I again, I'm not, I'm not arguing. I'm re- reiterating it. Like, I believe yeah. exactly what you're saying, right? Like, he just no, and doesn't I, give himself. I totally right there with better, you. For sure. No, he doesn't. And it's, it's, you know, like you have those friends who are just so brilliant and so wonderful and amazing. And they just get so down on themselves. And you're like, you want to shake them and be like, no, you're amazing. You are amazing. You need to believe that you are amazing. This is it's it's that sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know, where you're just like, Harry, you're fucking spectacular. You're allowed to be spectacular. You're not perfect. Nobody's fucking perfect. That's kind of the yeah. Every time he does that shit, I'm like, hey, come on, bro. Oh, for sure. And that's why I like that, like the way that you phrased it. I just really like mm-hmm. it, like lined up I, again. Like I don't show her my notes. My notes sometimes coalesce. I have I send myself text messages that's how uh-huh. i record notes because i'm not always in the same place right whether i'm reading or listening yeah i'm like out and about or like waiting you know i get to practice a few minutes early to make sure i don't get in a car accident rushing here and i'll sit there and read for 10 minutes so i don't have at least he's a notebook person guess which of us is more organized than the other I'm <laughs> once in a blue moon yeah, i'm organized differently um, our, our families have just flipped over the table and turned off the pod but when i said that let's see is not organized <laughs> Her organization of thought in, in and like note taking is far far has far eclipsed mine. Yes, my brain is organized. The rest of me is not. There's no luck on yes. that. <laughs> so I send myself text messages. That's how my uh, once in a while. That's awesome. Lissy will stop, and I've probably forgotten to delete some of them and say your keyboard is so loud. Stop typing. Most of what I'm doing is <laughs> clickety clacking my notes from my text messages onto my notepad on the screen I'm, and then it's just absurd. i have a uh what are they called a mechanical keyboard because mm-hmm. once you have a mechanical keyboard you refuse to use the dumb push button ones ever again but they are loud and that's part of the ch- that's yes. most of their charm actually <laughs> they have other charms but not not too many but the um like literally the words you're afraid the words that you're saying are like almost direct quotes from my notes <laughs> that's and that's why i love that where like just they've all made these they've all made mistakes in this novel mm-hmm. we go through personal mistakes that they didn't live up to that's like like harry every single one of them even molly and Char- oh yeah that's what i mean but charity thomas and and harry's either but really like go down like i pointed out a spot where michael i don't think lived up to his values you know like yeah obviously molly carpenter made some fucking mistakes here um you know we got a couple of People with substance abuse issues, you know, like Darby was Darby. Like everyone has had issues here. And it's like, it puts it in such stark relief that Harry doesn't allow himself that grace because everyone else is just trying to soldier on and and do their best. And that's like, yeah, but that's a really good point that, you know, he's surrounded by people who aren't perfect, Mm -hmm. but he expects perfection from himself. Yeah. And that's the, you know, where, like I was saying, like when you have that friend where you just want to shake him and be like, you're amazing. You're allowed to be amazing. Did I tell you? And he's very much that. Did I tell you about? I had that exact conversation two weeks ago, and like I was bawling. It was like an hour long phone conversation. Like, like fuck you. You are so much more valuable than that. I I thought that's what you reference. Yeah, one of the smartest, most brilliant people I know is just going through a tough spot, and that's how yeah. how things happen in life. And, exactly. But again, it was it was just similar energy, and it was funny because it was like we had recorded a couple of days before, but it was just like 
exactly the same thing. It's just like <laughs> expecting levels of, and that doesn't mean you didn't make a mistake, you know, like, yeah, fuck, we, none of us are perfect. You, we fuck, all you fucked up, but we all know how to fix it instead of wallowing. And like, again, I say that I'm the one saying don't wallow. So like, yes, I realize <laughs> I'm a really good teacher list if you can't do, but I have good <laughs> sure. ideas. I do have good ideas sometimes. Um, you have lots of good ideas once in a while. I like how we have talked, sticking in that chapter real quick, sorry. Mm -hmm. Harry uses his sight on Daniel. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, very plot conveniently, accidentally uses his sight on boyfriend Nelson mm -hmm. to kind of solve the puzzle. But I like that the reasoning is because he's so tired, he doesn't think to shut it down. Oh, yeah. But we've talked. Which is great. We've talked in the past about how, like, maybe just use your sight more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True. Like, I mean, he accidentally does it here. You know, my reasoning it, was the more things that are indelibly burned on your brain, the less each one stands out. Uh, <laughs> God, but whatever. Um, and then, yeah, my, my question was, how does Harry get jumped to the mirrors? And I wrote that for this chapter. But looking back, I think I put that back into my notes out of shape. Because he mentions the mirrors later, but here, presumably, he said, I know what creatures took her. So he had to have figured out the mirror thing. He doesn't really give us any information on how he got to that beyond it, it happening, which is fine. I don't think it's a mischaracterization or bad writing or anything like that. I'm just more, I'd like to know more about how he got there from a detective novel standpoint, you know? Mm -hmm. But yeah, and then the last thing I wrote here is two lines back to back and I made a typo in the first line. So I made sure I made the same typo in the second line, which is Harry and charity are more alike than they think. And the next line I spelled more wrong because this, I spilled on my mechanical keyboard and some of the buttons stick. And so the E stuck. So it says more E Harry and charity are more alike than they think. Molly and charity are more E alike than they think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like literally back to back as I was going through this, those were my thoughts on that chapter. Like, Neither, none of those three realize how they're all the same person. Like even Harry and Charity's backstory is similar-ish, right? It's not the same, obviously, but there's similarities and like the different paths they have and could have chosen. And we're kind of at this, a similar crossroads with Molly at this point in her life as well, right? Mm -hmm. Where she's made some mistakes dabbling in that universe, in that world underneath our world that no one knows about, right? And we've seen two very drastically different paths towards the light. Yeah. And I think by now, Cherry recognizes that Harry is going towards the light such as it is. What does Molly do here? And obviously, Charity thinks what Harry did is wrong. Yeah. But what does Molly do in this same spot? But it just the similarities between the three of them, I thought, were really interesting in this chapter, especially. That's all I got in this chapter. No, and I, but I do love the thread that runs through the three of them and just how it's gradually pulled. Yeah, for sure. All right. So chapter 32. What do you got there? That reveal of charity and magic. A, I do believe I said Molly had some magic. Just saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Lucy's so smart. God damn, it's going to take me a week of deleting all these emails. <laughs> so smart. She got another one. Der -ba -der. How I was so like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. I really should keep a list of the things I'm right about. Also, you should go back and re-listen to how, like, smooth I was. Yes, uh, no, you were. I was thinking about that. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, but I, I actually did remember about how, like, what a fucker. 
<laughs> I'm kidding. I love the emails and I do send all of them to Lissy. It's I'm just kidding. So we're clear. Oh my gosh, you're such a nerd. But you know, I mean, I I really it was just what it was is kind of, you know, like when you're a kid and you put a ball of oil and just do rubber bands around it. Mm-hmm. You just make it bigger and bigger and bigger. And this is totally what that is. It's just you've got the little ball of hairy magic. H A R R Y, not H A I R Y. Yeah, gross. And so the kind of just adding the rubber bands on and on, it's just the problem started really small and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's not quite a snowball effect mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it's a little bit more dangerous than a snowball. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's, it's the, this reveal and the way she tells the story, it's just, I really, really liked it. I really would. I really, really did. Yeah, I mean, and we touched on it during the breakdown, but how much I like the story itself also, not like the way she tells her thing, like, it's a cool backstory, and I really, I want to see that as well, right? Yeah. It's a very interesting kind of flashback sequence you're interested in. I mean, now I'm thinking about, like, a, a full-on prequel series of Sonya, Sonya, Michael, and whoever the, th- or not Sonya, excuse me, Shiro. Michael and whoever the third night before Sonya was uh-huh. traveling the world, solving crimes and fighting off Denarians and killing de- dragons and stuff. Like a, just like a weird, like almost buddy cop, but adventure saga. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Be like, Kung That's Fu, fantastic. just walk, walk the earth. Yeah. The only thing I have on chapter 32 is like 97% crying and lovey emotions. Uh huh. Where it is emotions, e uh, what do you call those? Emojis, emojis. I'm forty. I can't even say the word emoji. (laughs) It's how old and busted I am. I'm also broken. Everything hurts. (laughs) I understand that completely. How how badly she wanted to be worthy of that smile. Talking about Michaels, Mm -hmm. and like just again the compare that to how badly Harry wants to be worthy of Michaels' trust. You know, to the point where he contemplates basically suicide. And he actually thinks that Lashiel might be right when she suggests that. Yeah. So that he doesn't have to face the breaking and losing of that trust. Yeah. I just, again, like I said, there's a lot of crying and lovey and love cryy emojis in my uh, (laughs) text messages (laughs) to myself about that one. Because it... It really is beautiful and wonderful and shows who Michael is as a, as a human being to like exude, to just, or just extract those feel like get people to feel that way about him in such different ways. Right. One is more of a like emotional love and one is a very platonic, like, like friendship way, but how powerful Michael is as a character by how people who aren't there feel about him. Yeah. And oh, the other thing, I, I mentioned it while we're going through, but Michael literally slayed a dragon for her. Yes, he did. We knew that Seriothax, I think it's Seriothax, uh, was the my, dragon that he killed. But we met, we met, we met Pharovax at the party in Grave Peril. And it was Seriothrax was the dragon that Michael killed. And they reference that fight during the party as kind of like, Mr. Pharaoh is saying, she's basically just flexing on them with his cigarette that isn't lit, but Mm -hmm. he's making smoke come out of. Yeah. And then just kind of as like a puff up pissing contest. Yeah. Michael references the death of Syriothax. 
a zero Thrax rather. But so we knew we've already known that he slay he was a dragon slayer, but we didn't know any of the details behind it. And this just turns him from a cool badass knight who's killed a dragon to like a sexy cool knight who killed a dragon for love. <laughs> um, which isn't precisely why he killed it, but it turned into, like I said, the Hallmark movie version of Dragon Slaying, which is cool. You have anything else in that chapter there? Thirty-three was I liked Thomas acquiescing to again just reading the room. Yeah, like, her daughter's in par- Like it's not about me. Yeah, I really like Thomas's reactions to a lot of stuff. Yeah, like I mean, granted, in his upbringing with you know of like very scary and mean older sister. Wonder what that's like. He like has <laughs> yeah, had to is li- terrible. <laughs> he's had he's had to live his life a certain way and like. He's had to be this blase, drift in and out character. So, like, mm-hmm. it is part of what he's shown in the past. But this is more than this is more than blase, though. Yeah, this is like a maturity and an understanding that is like really shows his humanity, right? Like a part of himself yeah. that he didn't even want to acknowledge a few years ago. Like, it would be very easy to blow that off, even if you listen to her, but to be too cool for school while you do it. Yeah, but to say like. Yes, ma'am. Like, absolutely. I'll do what you say. It's your rules, right? You know, like, because that's A, the quickest way to get through this. Yeah. And B, the most effective. But C, it's also the most human. It's the most kind way. I was just going to say, it's the most compassionate way in dealing with Molly and what she's going, or not Molly, uh, it's Charity and what she's going through right now. Yeah. And I just love that. Yeah. I just, like, I I absolutely adore that characterization right there because it just shows in a novel where we don't know much of what thomas was up to except that he's been feeding yeah you know last week harry an uncharitable person wouldn't be giving this kind of credit to his brother he knows he's been feeding and and it's basically asking us how charitable we are and i I just i feel like that this line is showing the you know the people that read that line and decided there's no way mike you know thomas is doing something evil are rewarded by that i feel like and that could very well be projection but i just i love the idea of really showing thomas we asked a question a couple chapters ago of who thomas is and he answered that question right there yeah and that's there's a lot of it in this set of chapters is that when someone shows you who they are moments Mm -hmm. and we get it from from thomas we get it from charity and it's obviously we get it from Murphy. We get it from Murphy all the time because Murphy, Murphy is an actor, not in like the. Which is Maya Angelou, by the way. Not everyone. We do have actually a very pretty sizable non-American listening audience. So I, I, I was going to catch up to the John Henry reference later. Oh. But you just made a great, a great reference to a Maya Angelou quote of when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Yes. Um, but this is yeah, a really good example of people showing who they are and like. That 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 means more than the the mm-hmm. question, question marks in the background. That means more than the happenstance and the you know questionable ev- circumstantial evidence. Like, what what are they doing? Who, have they shown you who they are? And I just sorry, I didn't mean to cut off your steam. No, there. no, no, just, that's okay. It's a great quote, and I want to make sure that our you know non American audience, who are probably well more well read than me, and have read plenty of American authors and stuff. But either way, I digress. I promise, I was trying to do a favor. <laughs> So the one thing we've learned is that Murphy is very much a character that shows who she is. Absolutely. Harry also does, but Harry tells us usually the opposite. You know what I mean? 
and he's yeah, it's an unreliable him. narrator there. Exactly, it very much is. But I really appreciated that throughout these chapters where we're learning about charity. Mm-hmm. You know, every other time we've really encountered her, she's just kind of uh, looked down her nose at at Harry or thunder nose at him, basically. And in this, in her silent prayerful moments, she's trusting him. Yeah, it, and in, in her less ways... silent, in her less silent moments, she is. She's believing him. And I think those are those are things that are really important in her development of character because she never has before. But a lot of ways she, that conversation, sorry, I apologize, but in a lot of ways that conversation in the church pew reframes this whole novel oh, yeah. as, as a charity novel. And uh-huh. it's not. And it's still, Molly's still kind of the central the sticking point of the novel, but it, it really, in my mind, isn't about Molly. It's about Molly and charity. You can make you, there is an argument to be made that this is a charity centric novel. Yeah. Even though she's not in it a ton, we see her at her best and her worst. We see her randomly assaulting a guy who's trying to help out her daughter. We see her, you know, basically abusing a child to running away. We see the whole, there is that big chunk in the middle that isn't about her at all. But like, this is a, a lot of this novel, this chunk reframes, even the chapters we've already seen in a lot of ways. Yes, it does. It it re it reframes not just this novel, but it definitely sends this novel to a different on a different direction. Um which you said very I remember candid like it was like right when we was it the tail end of week 1 or the very beginning of week 2 where you're like, "Whoa, well, this novel just took a left turn." Right? Like it's just like yeah. you thought it was going to be a one thing and then it very quickly turned into something else. Yeah. But just just that com that conversation right there reminded me of that. So sorry, go ahead. No, it, it was very much. I like it though. Mm-hmm. I like how it does not only changes the the direction of the novel, but kind of changes the our understanding of the world, their world. You know, where it's the it's like the concept of like almost like a recovering addict who does good, who goes good. And Charity, like she said, she had urges to use magic. But she stopped. She changed her life. And now she's being tempted by it again. And so she's being drawn back into it. And my thought is, is she going to be tempted by it, I guess is the better phrasing. Because she's going to be around it all. Is she going to have to use magic? But the other, the flip side of that is we, you know, they discuss the bond between a mother and a child. That itself is just magic. You know, there's a different kind of magic in that. And so it's sort of like her love and willingness to do anything for her child. Maybe that's just her kind of magic now. These are just the things that were going through my head as I was I like it. listening because to I, this, listening to and reading this five or six times. Actually, I think I did. I went through it five times this week. Yeah, well, we also saw, like, we've seen how powerful her faith magic is before this. And, but we always kind of, it was couched kind of in terms of, like, a really loving mom. A mom that cares and loves about her, you know, her flock so much. Whereas mm-hmm. this is, show, I mean, th- that's not to undermine how powerful or important that is, but this... This has shown her faith magic as having power in the same way that Michael's faith yes. magic has power. Yeah. Which is a different thing, I feel like. 
And maybe that's my own biases being projected onto this, but it, it just feels like this is a different type, at least a different side of the faith magic coin. Yes. But it's, it's, they both are, you know, their faith in God and their faith in the almighty. But this is a little bit different kind of faith because it's dealing with her children. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it just feels like it's a, it's a, a bit different in that regard. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's just, just one of those things where it's like, if you really boil it down, it is the same faith magic we've seen. But just the way it's employed is different enough that it, it felt different. My one last thing on chapter 33, I don't know where you're at, but wasn't the van crushed? Yeah, that's what I thought too. Some part of it was squished. Yeah, maybe the wrong part. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's just the roof. Because we, we, I mean, we also do know that they have the van that they stole from Glau yeah. as well. But he but, parked it. Yeah, a minivan parked in the driveway had been crushed as if by yeah. a dropped wrecking ball. So, you know, maybe they're a family with two minivans. That's, uh, <laughs> I think that's just a, a mistake, and that's okay. Maybe just crunched in. You know, it could also have been, I don't know, a neighbor's minivan. True. I got crushed during the kerfuffle. Yeah, because it was just a van in the driveway. Yeah. Maybe not even in the driveway. It was, there was a van in a driveway. Who knows? Oh, that's true. I'm trying to be very friendly. Right? With this exactly. But just wanted to make sure I wasn't the crazy one there. That's all I have on 33. 34 was your... No, 33 also, I like you had said earlier, I'm really... I love Bob. It worked. The model actually worked. It didn't explode. Oh, yeah, that was so good. <laughs> Shit. Oh, man. Oh, damn. Yeah, the, the fact that he was so, like, flabbergasted by it working was great. I liked his apology and her reaction with Charity. Again, her like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually shocked that I'm not mad at you also. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can't believe how not mad that I am at you I am right now, Harry Dresden. I enjoyed. She does see, this is a conversation that came out around The Last Jedi and beyond i actually enjoyed last jedi quite a bit when i first saw it second time i get some of the complaints but i i enjoy it i think it's a better star wars movie than force awakens and i thought force awakens felt like a star wars movie it wasn't a great star wars tale but it felt right i remember leaving the theater saying like wow that's what star wars should feel like Mm -hmm. i think was the exact quote i gave you uh you had already seen it but we watched it like christmas night or day after christmas oh yeah Day after, but, day after, but yeah, one of the complaints is that Ray is a what we call a Mary Sue, which, in and of itself, already invites sexist criticism. Yes, um, it really does. I mean, it's it's one of those things where like, she, how different from Luke Skywalker is Ray? Not like yeah. at all. Like they're like the same character, but we She's only get pushed whiny. Back. Yeah, sure. But he really did want to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. You can't really, you don't understand how important that is to a young man. But so, like, I, I don't like that phrasing necessarily, but, like, Charity is just kind of, like, out of nowhere good at fighting and good at sword fighting and jacked and good at everything. And, you know, Matt, it just, it just seems like a lot to throw on her. Like I said, it, this is already 
kind of feels like an icky question when I phrase it as is she a Mary Sue? It is kind of icky, and I understand yeah. that. I'm clinging to that. But it just seems like she's really good at everything. And I didn't need her to be like an expert armorer to be a character I can give credit to and care about. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It just seems like a, a lot in a short amount of time. But like I said, I acknowledge my own experiences probably contribute to that. Did you have any thoughts? Does that no, make any I, sense? I, you know? No, I'm right there with you. And then the reference to John Henry, we just casually laughed at and, and moved on again to non-Americans. He's like an American folklore guy. Yeah, like an axe, right? Uh, no, that's or a Paul, hammer. Paul Bunyan. Yeah, that's why he call, get, calls her that because she's holding a hammer. John Henry was a, uh, a former slave railroad spike. He was like a steel driver, I think. And he uh, famously, like, the machine that drives railroad spikes, he's like, I'll race you to that point in the middle. And he got there and died because he was exhausted. None of that's, none of that's true. No. But apocryphally, that's the, that's the legend of John Henry. Yeah. One of our own cultural build. I think build there's actually blast. a song called The Legend of John Henry. I'm sure there is. I also, you mentioned Paul, or you mentioned the axe. That's Paul Bunyan, another yeah. American folklore the big blue ox with with babe the big blue ox that's exactly what i was gonna talk about <laughs> he had a gigantic blue ox named babe paul bunyan did yeah these aren't real stories just you know like folklore mm -hmm. um but that's where the uh john henry reference came from we, one of our, our listeners gave a mentioned that we, we were talking about the l train mm -hmm. and you know they're not from chicago or you know it's one of those things that culturally you just hear it enough and know it when you live, you know, at least for me, anyway, with my experience growing up in America, very far away from Chicago, but they're like, I had no idea what they were talking about, you know, during restoration of faith when he's like, can you take the L? Like, no, I can't take the L. I don't have any money. So I, I did think to make a mental note there. I want to make a point to like some of these references that are more American centric. I do want to try to spread as much. That's more to you than the pod explaining why I'm spending this much time on John Henry list. <laughs> I promise. Good use of our time. But yeah, I didn't have a whole lot there. I did love it. You know, as I just, I liked it a lot. I like charity and I like charity a lot in this chunk. Mm -hmm. And I knew that was going to happen, but I like her more going through it slowly, chap, you know, chunk at a time yeah. than I have in the past. Because it makes you focus on it and you understand the emphasis a little bit more. Yeah. And like, I know Susan isn't a super popular character in a lot of ways for some people. And I've always loved her. What's interesting is this going slowly didn't change that. You and I both really enjoyed her character. Yeah. You know, throughout the, the however many novels she was in. And it's just interesting. Like, I was worried about that. Yeah. As well. No, definitely. Like, I'm worried that the characters I like, like early on, I was like, holy shit. Is, is Bob like, I hope Bob isn't just, just like always atrocious. I mean, he is always atrocious, but like, I feel like we're kind of in on the joke by now, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And the fact that you've caught up to that makes me feel better about myself. <laughs> if we were still at a point where you're like, fuck this fucking Bob guy, like, I'm going to quit. I would have, you know, learn something. He's not a guy, though. He, he's just a skull. Oh, no. He's a, he, he, he's a he, him. That is, he is a he, him. But that's what I got on that one. I believe 30, what was that? 34. Yeah. Yeah. 35 was just the, you know, again, the next step in that. He references They Live, Roddy, Roddy Piper yeah. movie, which is great. It's a typical Harry using using humor in moments of 
Yeah. Horribleness. He does love a good entrance, right? Yeah, we saw that, you know, all the way back in Stormfront, his, his, uh, fuck subtle, right? <laughs> Which is great. That's a really, it is lovely. He does love a good entrance. He's a drama. Yeah. He's a very dramatic. He's person. a drama queen. He is, in fact. But yeah, I mean, pretty straightforward. I like the fight. Like I said it was kind of weird and incongruous. The like using a fake movie monster, which like seems to reference that Michael Crichton virus monkey movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I can't remember what it's called, though. But then they use, you know, they very clearly reference Shocking. child's play. Yeah, I guess they did the same thing with both. But with aliens, they didn't use the name. Yeah, they gave so no maybe, name. They just gave quotes or yeah, references. And, and, and descriptions, right? So yeah. it's just, it just seems weird. Like, you have these all these fake movies. Like, if you're going to use fake ones, use fake ones. If you're going to use real ones and you don't want to get sued, you know, like, it's a fun reference. It just felt weird to have, like, real but fake ones. That makes sense? Yeah. Um, that's a more, again, more a me problem than anything else. I just... I have to live with me. Unfortunately, I only get this one brain. I've tried. I keep getting turned away at the office. Um, Murphy's whatever was great. We touched mm -hmm. on that. Anything else in there? 35? I got some for 36, but... I do love that... Um, you know, that... The, just kind of like the, the teamwork aspect, you know, which is nice. I enjoyed, you know, everybody working together and yeah, also doing their part, just sure. being badasses in their own little ways mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's a real quick as after they were already inside very mm -hmm. when fix gives the update on the war yeah that's so out of place oh a hundred percent out of place but they needed it for how they knew it wasn't the white council that Got into the fortress. Harry has to reference it later. Yeah, it just feels like it's like, oh yeah, hey, by the way, it, yeah, no, it's backwards. Way. It's I think it's backwards storytelling. I think he bit. needed to find a place to put that in and just kind of tucked it there. And it was a weird it. thing. That's what it but feels just, like. Hey, you're going on a really dangerous mission. Also, here's, here's some, some bad news. Thing. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, again, it's, is it the end of the world? No, it's, it's information we need. And I, I get it, but I just feel like, like I got credit where credit's due. He does such a good job weaving in exposition in, and this is, he's so good at it. Then when it's not really elegantly woven through the tail, it like, it's jarring. I feel like it's yeah. like, he's a victim of his own success with that line there. Like it's not, the worst thing ever but it's just compared to how good he usually is with this it's just jarring if that makes sense also oregon a couple hours from seattle is not a way to describe anywhere in oregon no there's not a lot in oregon but portland is on the border directly south of seattle i guess i guess so like but maybe if you're from the midwest you don't fucking know where that portland exists i where guess that portland exists you know Portland I mean, became, I, became more popular in the last 15 years. There you go. Yeah. The PDX is now a thing and it wasn't back then. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'll give it to you. I just, I mean, I literally don't know the map well enough to know for sure. I just know like you drive through Portland and then you're in Vancouver, Washington. <laughs> you made that drive. So, you know. Yes, I did. Very recently. In fact, the, 
And this is one, and, and I'm not attacking all believers, but it is one that comes up a lot with Christians in particular, where he talks about maybe, maybe a God could do it. And Charity's yeah. like, there are no other gods. Like your own dude said, you shall have no other gods before me. Yeah. Before. <laughs> Meaning there's other gods. I'm just a tippy top God. I may have already said this on this pod before. It's just I one think of those. We things. had this conversation. Probably. Either we have multiple times in a bar or multiple times on this pod, but it's worth yeah. repeating. <laughs> we totally had this conversation. Yep. Your your own dude says there's other gods. There's other gods. <laughs> he's just <laughs> he's where it's at. He's 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 the cream of the crop. He's Mom, he's your guy. I know I was trying to weave in the the lyrics of Jesus Christ Superstar, oh. but I failed because he's talking about other people. That's hilarious. Buddhist, like, I know I've had this conversation before. I'm pretty sure I've had it with you. Yeah. This is an anti. I mean, I have plenty of anti-religious thoughts, and I sometimes I, I try to be as diplomatic as possible because I do respect people's, you know, yeah, beliefs and convictions at least. But that, but that that, that that is one that always bothers me, and I bring it up all the time. So I, yeah. <laughs> is he infallible or not? You tell me. You pick one. Pick a lane. But that's all I have as far as. But clearly, that's the good analysis I have. Like you don't want a whole lot. You got anything else on the actual go through? I mean, there's certainly the debris surrounding the the front gates is intriguing. I figured yeah. you'd have thoughts on that. But it actually, I mean, it makes sense because bone does get very brittle. It it would have to have been there for a while for it to be crunching. So it's not a new set of bone. And I bone melting. I I literally <laughs> want. To see that so badly. To see what? Melted bone. Bone like melted wax. I want to see what the fuck that looks like. Because the only thing I can think about is syphilic bloom on bo- on skulls. That looks like okay. melted wax on the bone. I, I, Sorry. You, don't need, you didn't want to know that. <laughs> I know, but. I, I, I'm going to just. <laughs> squirrel. Exactly. But, I mean, I get, but the thing is, is that it, because it's so cold, bone would crunch like that. It wouldn't be fresh bone. It would have to be old bone. But it, I mean, that would just be sharp as fuck, too. Broken bone can pierce through gloves. So it's, I mean, bone shards are very, very sharp and dangerous. That's why in certain movies they use them as weapons. But also, oh my God, how cold? Yeah, no, for sure. What about the brimstone? I don't care about the actual corpse pieces. I care yeah. about your thoughts on, on the political machinations. I, you know, I'm, that's going to be interesting because that's a whole other, unless somebody else has, has those powers, has some sort of hellfire power like he does. That's a little scary. We haven't really been let into the wide realm of who has it. Certainly. Yeah, very true. Harry has access to it because of last year. Who else does? But yeah, who else? It may, may not just be. We don't know. Hellfire presumably is is enough of a cultural thing that it didn't come from only thirty creatures. But who knows? Yeah, maybe they're, maybe they're that prolific. I, it's a little scary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yikes! Yeah, beyond that, I don't have a whole heap. Did you uh, anything for the yikes department? Not really. He was very when he was talking about how banging Charity's body was. He was. He wasn't too cre- creepy, so that's good. Yeah, and um, I also love that she has a banging body. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he does reference her daughter as like, "Oh, I know where her seventeen-year-old got those titties," um, which is a, whatever. 
not ideal, but yeah, no, I thought that was actually relatively fine. Again, like, yeah. like, why be clear on this? We don't have a problem with like adults recognizing other adults are potentially sexual creatures. And like, yeah, that's a part of the human experience. Like, that's like not what we're saying. We're not saying don't no. be horny. Like, we just don't be a douchebag and don't read. That's the thing. Don't be a douchey creeper about it. Yeah. Don't reduce people to their titties or. Yes. children to their sexuality like that's not a i don't yes. think that's a crazy high bar to pass no i don't think so either now i do have a couple of yikes okay one of them is relatively subtle but when he's talking to charity in the in the church chapel balcony mm-hmm. i don't like like him grabbing her face and turning it towards him it's just like a like it is weird it didn't like it why well, to me it's like a patriarchal like machismo like i I, I like okay. I deserve I deserve your eye contact kind of thing. Like I didn't I didn't like it at all. And again, uh, see, I didn't I see could, it like that. It's just like it's like a, using your physicality, like like he's this big hulking dude. He's not like super jacked, but like he's gigantic and like you know, physically grabbing a woman's face and forcing it to look at you. Just I didn't love it. Okay. I just certainly would make it made me uncomfortable and I'm dude reading a piece <laughs> of paper. And then the other one I there is no argument. Kissing Murph was wasn't weird. Entirely, it was, no, it was inappropriate. It was it was bad. It's not. If it was literally random friends who like, yeah, in, in like a fit that nineteen fifties kind of comedy moment, and it was not. Yeah, it was weird. It, yeah, it, exactly how I thought. It's just kind of like leaning into like the old timey. Both of those moves yeah. are like kind of old timey. Like I just if their relationship from last novel. That actually interaction wouldn't have bothered me nearly as much. Yeah. But you've made... The you lines know, oh, have been drawn in the sand. Yeah, and, and changed. The lines have changed. Like, your relationship is not the same as it was a year ago. And so, him kissing her without consent or warning... Yeah. And, and like, she's a big girl. She could have popped her in the neck if she felt threatened or, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, that's not what I'm saying. I, it's I'm not suggesting it's, you know, rape or sexual assault, but it definitely... Certain the rape certainly. Let's just say that. Like it's it's like it's offensive. Like this is not the way that you know someone who has been told that they're not a romantic partner material for someone. You don't go kissing them on the mouth without I, asking. Giving or, her a hug would have been one thing. Just grabbing her in a big hug and being like, "Oh my god, that's yeah. amazing! You're so brilliant." But the kissing, yeah, kiss her on the cheek, kiss her on the forehead. Yeah. Like there's so many ways for that to be an exuberant friendship moment, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have the sexual tension and the romantic tension that we had in the middle section of this novel and then have that kiss be okay in my mind. Again, I, I'm just a guy. I, I just, I really did not like that interaction. And like you said, it didn't feel like he was being over the top, crazy offensive. It felt more like an old timey, like sitcom, like, Oh, we, and then like, you know what I mean? Like I, I, the old timey description is exactly what I felt. Kind of like he was leaning back into some of those noir tropes and ideas and stuff where it's just like a weird, unnecessary machismo thing yeah. going on that like. It weird. When he did it, I was like, I, my, I didn't think too much on it. I was just kind of like, okay, that's fucking weird. And then move on. Like I could see him grabbing her shoulders, hugging her really tight and then pushing her away. You know what I mean? For sure. What was the other one? You said you had a couple of yikes moments. The other one was him physically turning Charity's face. Oh, okay. Again, two like unnecessary physical interactions with women that I don't think are necessary. And I'm not, I have three older sisters, man. I coach water polo. Like I, I don't think of women as these like 
wilting flowers. God no. But there's also like your mother. Would, of, your mother would pop you one if she, if you did. I mean, I I, I I I tell this anecdote because it's funny, but it's very clearly like an '80s perception of like learned douchebaggery, and I. I meant, I, I, you know, I was an idiot child. I'm an idiot 40, 39 year old, but we were walking to my first T-ball practice ever. And I literally said, what's a woman doing on the ball field? That, think of how fucked up that is. <laughs> I was like four years old. Like my dad was really good at a lot of things. That clearly wasn't one of them. <laughs> That's actually probably fucking sounds more like Graham. Um, oh my goodness. Like, you get what I mean? Like, that's like, I, it's learned behavior and it's awful. And so I, I'm not like I'm growing up, by the way, that was an aside just to show you how far I've come or try to come, but no, like just, I don't know. I, I just, I, there's certain things you just don't, I don't know. I, I could very well be projecting and be the crazy one here. I don't think I am. Carry on. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what's the, we did analysis. We did yikes. Oh yeah. That's quotes of the week. Quotes of the week. We've been doing this for almost a year and I still don't know the order. <laughs> a couple times we have done it out of order because, but also we, we need quotes of the week music. That's it. Okay. So I have quite a few. Chains of logic cascaded through my brain. My head swam. I shoved the side away from me and my ass fell straight down to the floor. Just a ha very hairy moment. This one I, I said when we were going through, but but I could bridge that, but I could burn that bridge when I came to it. I say this all the time. The first time I said it to one of my young coworkers, she kind of tilted her head to the side and looked at me. I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm, I'm positive. I, I'm pretty sure I got from you when I was way younger, but this isn't rocket surgery. I say that yeah. like all the time. Oh, yeah. And eventually the kids realize it. But at first they just think I'm dumb, which is fine. I don't mind being a bit of a clown. I use it all the time. And it's great when you use it around people who've never heard it before because they look at you like you're fucking crazy and you're dumb as dirt. I actually <laughs> I actually had someone tell me, and it was a dude. He said, well, actually, because of course you started with it. Well, actually, well, actually, it's rocket science. And I said, no, it's brain surgery, but it's a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> and he had the blankest look on his face like, oh, this poor, sweet, dumb, young thing. Yeah. Young, Lissy. At that time, I was, okay? <laughs> oh, sorry. And then this is only because of my constant <laughs> crackpot theory. Uh-huh, Thomas said. Am I the only one who thinks, who is starting to think that maybe Mouse is something special? <laughs> yeah. When I read that, I like, I high-fived Thomas in my head. And this one, we went through, but I still love it. It's very well kept up. I had expected more debris. He cheats, Thomas said, and headed for the refrigerator. <laughs> I love Thomas. Oh, I... And then Bob blinked. It worked? The, the model actually worked? It didn't explode? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a lot. <laughs> but the hell's bells, I sighed. Okay, John Henry, you're on the team. Let's see here. Oh, I don't want to break up the Battle of Hastings dress theme, Harry. But I find guns generally more useful than swords. <laughs> Let's see. I'm just, I'm not doing all of them. Otherwise, I'd have 16 of them. Come on, I said louder. I'm starting to feel insulted here. You guys keep this up. I'm going to take drastic cliched measures. Maybe walk backward through a doorway or something. 
And then Thomas and I tried to look theologically invisible. And that's all I have. <laughs> no, it's not. But it uh, we, do, but... we have to get through this at some point. <laughs> but I can, Lashiel said quietly. I witnessed the birth of time itself. I watched the mortal coil spring forth from perfect darkness. I watched the stars form, watched this world coalesce, watched as life was breathed into it and as your kind rose to rule it. She put her hands on the table and leaned towards me, her blue eyes cold and hard. Thus far, I have behaved as a guest ought, but do not mistake propriety for weakness, mortal. I beg you not to oblige me to take further action. It's the first time Lashiel's ever been sinister, mm -hmm. really, since we've seen. And I love it. Yeah. Because, again, I, I unabashedly love Lashiel. <laughs> uh, at first, I tried, I wasn't sure. And I kind of tried to be a little more diplomatic with her. But no, nope, I love her. <laughs> but she really is kind of flexing a little bit there. Like, I watched you motherfuckers come from nothing. Like, mm -hmm. and I will see you go to nothing. So get in my way at your peril. Yeah. Um, I already read it, but I do not remain passive to threats. It was a great charity line as yes. well. I don't have funny ones today. Weird. Maybe it's because Lissy read 17 lines. <laughs> um, but this one was going to be my, my last one anyway. When before I finished speaking, Charity, Murphy, and Thomas stepped up to stand beside me. A bolt of warmth. Fierce with joy and pride and gratitude, flashed through me like sudden lightning. I don't care about whose DNA is recombined with whose. When everything goes to hell, the people who stand by you without flinching, they are your family. And they were my heroes. I love that. I really, really do. Indeed, indeed. It's good. Good shit. Oh, that is the good stuff. And I guess we're done. I kid, we can't ever leave. We can check out any time we like, but we can never leave until Lissy gives us back on Theory Week. Okay, this has all been building up here. So, I've already said I think Molly's got magic. Ding, ding, I was right. Oh, no, we know her mom has magic. But she said her magic started showing. Yeah, yeah. So, but I think that that's one of the reasons, not just because of the fear, that's one of the reasons she got dragged, dragged into fairy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because she's got that connection to Harry. She's got that connection to a knight. And she's got magic. There's something more going on there, and I am here for it. I don't know what it is, obviously, other than she's magic. But I love that I was right on that one. The weird shit I'm right about, by the way. Mm -hmm. Where the fuck are the, is this shit coming from? I did, I did, uh, I did. And I agree with Thomas about our friend mouse he's more than a dog still on that one mm -hmm. still on that one high-fiving thomas in the process and mr's the cutest and mr is amazing and i but i also feel like with the mr and charity thing i feel like he has some if, if he doesn't have if he's not supernatural he has some supernatural senses mm -hmm. i don't know if it's from being around a wizard so long or what but he's got some sense for the supernatural because he, I think he, he noticed she has power. It might be latent, but I think it's, I think that's part of what it is. Far enough, far enough, far enough, far enough. I know, I'm ridiculous. You don't, you aren't, you couldn't be. 
But yeah, awesome. Well, that brings us to just about the tail end of this thing. So next week we are doing six more chapters, sir. Six more chapters. There's wait, or is it? Oh, is it, right. if it's the end, it's five chapters. 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42. So 37 to 42. She got all the way through. She got through all six. Woohoo. Damn it. I owe somebody. I owe somebody 20 bucks. And this is, this is, this, this is because you uh, want me to do the summary at the beginning of every one, isn't it? Uh, that's most, <laughs> most of it. Uh, but also at, the last episodes go very long because we like to do our full book recap. Yeah. And if we have the same number of chapters, mm-hmm. it goes very long and yeah the next time i want to edit a four-hour podcast list i <laughs> i don't i don't i don't want to do that <laughs> so beyond that i do want to mention a really fun milestone at least for me and my sister is by the time you have listened to this we will have crossed ten thousand downloads in the history of well, the podcast was on fire please. and it wasn't my fault and that is so cool again so that is just so rad. You guys are awesome. They're not all us either. <laughs> <laughs> I just have a bot constantly downloading uh, through VPNs all over the country. No, we have reached 46 different nationalities. Some of those are probably people traveling in between, you know, but 46 different countries have downloaded us around the world. I, like I said, 10,000. This, I literally just invented this to make my sister read books that I like <laughs> and talk to me about it. She didn't even know I was recording the first one. Uh, <laughs> such a hit. I had to tell her. Uh, so I didn't get sued. No, I, I just, it, this is really like such a fun experience for me. And we are just getting started. We're on book eight of 17 published and there's plenty to go. So thank you guys so much for sticking with us. Some of you guys have been here from absolutely the start. And you all, the new, the old, and everything yeah, exactly. in between. And remember your homework. If you're not a Patreon subscriber, you got to tell one person about our pod. <laughs> if you are a Patreon subscriber, oh, just look in the mirror and give a thumbs up. I, I tell yourself it. about it. <laughs> Absolutely. A little pat on the back. I can't do that. It hurts my shoulder too much. But <laughs> Yeah, the, the podcast was on fire at gmail.com. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. And patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. Patreon.com slash the podcast is on fire. Uh, you can join it for free. You don't have a whole lot, but you have access to us. If, if and when I fail to get, I've been really proud of myself, by the way, to toot my own horn over here of getting these podcasts out <laughs> while I've been traveling and my life has been upside down the last couple of weeks. So just by recording these words, it means I'm going to screw up this week and it's not going to come out till like next Thursday. But the last few weeks have been great. And I'm really excited at being able to keep this schedule. And yeah, I mean, that's, you know, the uh, subscribers really help us get over the line and afford some of the tools that make getting the podcast editing done tenable. Go back and listen to that first episode. That was before I knew how to edit. It's pretty rough. And they've gotten better since now. Perfect. Almost. We're getting close to 10,000 listeners in list or 10,000 downloads in list. I think we might, we might almost be listable. So uh, I, I really do appreciate you guys, you know, sticking with us and actually some of the advice I've gotten on audio quality and things. And I'm always looking for more, but mostly thanks for downloading us. Thanks for giving us rankings and ratings and listings and sending in emails. That's awesome. It's, it's very cool. So thank you guys. It's been a really cool experiment. We are just about 11 months in and yeah, I mean that you can do the math. We're not a giant operation. We're not, you know, I don't think 
Rogan is doing the math and wondering when Spotify is going to cut his salary and starts shipping it to us. But I just, it's been well, really- we're hoping really, for that. If anybody yeah. has, uh, has some backend uh, abilities, I'm just saying. Yeah, if, if anybody's <laughs> great uncle's freshman year roommate's stepmom works at Spotify, definitely let them know that we're around. But no, I just realistically, guys, I this has been such a crazy year in my life, moving and taking a new job and existing in like one of the cool- over the last couple of months when everything was flip side up, flip turning upside down, having the, uh, Hey, Alyssa, thank you. But just the consistency of having this to go to. And I really do appreciate you guys. So 10,000 downloads later, 46 countries later. And I believe we're at 49 States. I'm not sure. Well, last time I looked, we didn't have, I was like, who do we not, not have? I got to look it back up. Cause it's been a long time. Actually, we were at 43 or something last time. And I mental noted Alabama came through and somebody else. Good so, job, Alabama. We're getting close. We're getting pretty close about all 50 states. I actually haven't. I have a. Uh, I have one of those maps that you scratch off the places you've been. It's like <laughs> I don't go places. So instead of that, I'm scratching off places that our podcast has been. And um, so I'll show that at some point. I'll take a picture of it when it's updated. But that's like the only piece of wall accoutrement. I bought two pieces of two pieces of decoration from home. One was a painting of my favorite golf course that a friend of mine stole, and then. Was he got drunk and stole and then got drunker and left it in the backseat of my car. And as the designated driver, you get certain perks. And so I have a beautiful painting of my favorite golf course. And I have this map of the world where I've scratched off the places that our podcast has been. So it's just really cool it. to see that opening up. And you guys are great. And thank you so much. And happy Hanukkah to those that are in the throes of the Festival of Lights. I think that's happening now, right? Uh, yes, it started last Thursday. So it's almost over. Oh, so it's going to be over by the time. It's okay. Well, you know, we do care Re about you. Retroactively. Um, you know, maybe there was, somebody's listening to this next year. But thank you guys all. Lissy, any parting thoughts or comments, concerns, stock tips? Uh, no stock tips. If I had them, I'd use it. Uh, sorry, but we really do appreciate it. I love all the emails that I'm not allowed to read all of. Uh, I love it when we get messages on Facebook and when people quote on stuff. And we don't always, I don't, I'm not allowed to respond to any of the messages because I'm not allowed to read them. If you don't have spoilers, say no spoilers and I can respond. <laughs> you know, she can open those emails without her. Uh... I'm allowed to open them without them being edited for me. <laughs> and I've been really well behaved. I've been really, really good. I, I I don't scroll through much on Reddit because I'm afraid that for spoilers, every now and again, they'll talk about an early book and I'll, oh, I can read this one. So, you know, it's, it's, I am being very good about it. Yeah, definitely make sure you don't uh, spoilerify on, uh, I was asked politely but firmly to stop posting on Reddit. So I don't have a, a current Reddit. <laughs> Polite, politely but firmly. So any messages there I haven't been getting, but again, we got the email address, we got the Facebook and, uh, I'm delighted to have it. So thank you kindly, guys. I appreciate y'all. Have a wonderful week. I'll see you next weekend. And I have been Josh. I am Alyssa. The podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. <laughs> Not, <laughs> Not this time, at least. <laughs>
I'm okay at poker. I'm not certainly not good at it. But one of my most powerful skills in this world is I can be sitting at a poker table and you can deal me two cards. I can look at my cards. And if I'm not going to play them, I forget what they are like (laughs) 75% of the time plus. Like very often people will like, oh, I had a full house there if I would have stayed in with my Jack free or whatever, you know? I was like, I, I like almost never get that. And this isn't me saying I'm good. That's a dumb thing to be good at. But it is a good thing. <laughs> it's like, I don't have the like regret when I fold something random and it comes because I like literally don't remember. I just I, somehow I'm able to just turn my brain to the next hand or watching this hand in front of me. <laughs> but I don't know. I have very few superpowers, but that's actually one of them. I just don't remember poker hands that I'm not in. When I'm in, I remember them and obsess over them for years. That's spectacular. I digress. Actually, when I win, I forget them. Just one year. <laughs> Which is how you get better at stuff, I guess. Either way. 